0: The Easy Money Show with Cam Fats It's powered by EpicConversions.com and the Insiders Club. Welcome to another episode. Hey, what is up, what is up? This is Cam Jennings, a.k.a. Zero Fats, a.k.a. Cam Fats, coming at you on behalf of EpicConversions.com, Zero Fats Returns YouTube channel. Welcome to the Easy Money Show, the place where we are. Generally familiar and generally aware, you know, that people make money online, and you know, sometimes we even talk about it, (laughs) right? Sometimes we even talk about it. Guys, I want to welcome you to another episode of the Easy Money Show. This is episode three, and I think we're starting to find our stride here on this show. Um, I'd like to take a minute to ask you if you're watching this on youtube leave a comment below if i say something if i talk about something that resonates with you leave me a comment let me know what you think about it i also ask you to check out the show over on uh podcasts.com i'll put a link in the description also we're up on itunes so if you're an itunes guy or itunes gal find the easy money show on itunes it's all there waiting for you Let's get into another episode of the Easy Money Show. Welcome, welcome. On this fine, fine Tuesday evening. It is 8 p.m. I want to talk to you guys about taking imperfect action. You guys know about taking imperfect action? It's a funny thing, man, because I take a lot of imperfect action. I really do. I take a lot of imperfect action. In my business, um, and it 's always been like that since the beginning i'll, I'll have to tell you it 's always been like that since the beginning i 've always been uh, somewhat of a risk taker and as I 've learned more about business and as i 've grown um, as an entrepreneur i 've learned how to like minimize my risk i 've learned how to do things in such a way that minimizes my damage. Taken, right? Minimize damage taken. Kind of like a fight, right? So I've learned how to minimize the risk um, because let's face it, if it's just a 50 50 gamble, if we're always just talking about a 50 50 gamble, it's not going to take you very long to lose, right? So we can talk about taking imperfect action all day long. We can talk about taking imperfect action all day long, but the sad fact of the matter is the reason. Many times why people don't want to take imperfect action on big decisions, on big gambles, right? Like quitting your job and becoming an entrepreneur or starting a business. The reason why people don't want to take action on stuff like that is because they fear the worst. They fear they're going to lose all their money. They feel they're going to lose everything they own. They're going to be homeless. Uh, They're going to be the disappointment of their friends and family, and people are going to laugh at them. So taking imperfect action is hard, but that whole taking imperfect action thing goes well beyond the big ones, right? It goes all the way down to, you know, just starting a blog or, you know, uh, starting a podcast, right? Like this, um, or starting a YouTube channel or writing a book or or anything, you know, we kind of micromanage, we kind of micromanage and, uh, really, really dissect every little piece of what we might do. And then we don't take any action. Right. We kinda we kinda just stand by to stand by, as they say in the military sometimes. Um I'll give you three. Uh I was reading an article uh the other day. It's called How to Take Brave, Bold, Imperfect Action. Right. I thought it was interesting. Um, and you guys can think what you will about it. Uh so it, it kind of breaks it down into three little three little steps to take brave, bold, imperfect action. Step one, decide what's really important to you right now. If you only had 30 days left to live, what would you pour your heart and soul into? What's your passion project or life's work that's being neglected or pushed to the side? What's a goal or a dream you've deferred for far too long? Decide on one thing that's really important to you right now, not your family or friends or your boss or coworkers, just you. Decide what's really important to you right now. Step two, take brave, bold, and imperfect action around it today. Choose one way you'll take brave, bold, and imperfect action around this thing that's so important to you. Do something to move it forward no matter how small, huge, incremental, or scary. Be brave, be bold, and let go of your perfectionism. I think that's hard for everybody to let go of their perfectionism. I really do. As I always say, and now always do, you just have to get started. You'll build momentum from there, but just start. Take the first step and register the domain. Call the person. Write the first words. Throw the first colors on the canvas. Just start somewhere and build from there. So that's step two. Take brave, bold, and imperfect action around it today. Step three, create momentum by continuing to take imperfect action. Create momentum by continuing to take imperfect action. It's not enough to start. You have to keep moving. Even if it's something tiny every day or once a week, keep building the momentum by continuing to take imperfect action. I put up my passion projects website yesterday, and today I made some tweaks and published about, about another blog post. Every single day, I will do one thing, including post something relevant to the conversation on the blog To build momentum and start bringing it to life. What can you do every single day? It doesn't have to be massive. It just has to be something. Brave, bold, imperfect action. There you go. That was on Huffington Post, by the way. I got that on Huffington Post by uh, Stephanie Zamora. uh, How to take bold, brave, and imperfect action. Nice little little three-step plan there. I thought it was cool. Um, I don't think it's going to be the end-all, be-all. I think I think taking imperfect action is somewhat of a paradigm shift. I mean honestly. Um something's gonna have to change a little bit for you to be able to move from what you're doing now to what you want to do, right? Um I know that, you know, I do group coaching calls for my uh my Insiders Club, my Epic Versions Insiders Club. Every month, we do a group coaching call um, where all the insiders can just ask questions. We answer everybody's questions, and uh, everyone, everyone leaves with good, good, solid information and questions answered, and hopefully, information that's meant to move the businesses forward. That's what it's all about. Um, but I know I have one or two people who always, like, they never have any questions, They are just interested in challenging what I say. They're just interested in like proving me wrong on something, right? And and it's it's funny because we're it's always people who never take a lot of imperfect action. They really don't. They don't take a lot of imperfect action. Um, These are people who always seem to have a better answer than what I have. They always seem to have. The they always seem to have the, the answer key when I give the wrong answer or what, what, when I give what they perceive to be the wrong answer. Um, and yet, when we look at overall stats, we see me succeeding and we see them failing the launch, failing to even get started. And I asked one of them the other day, I said, hey, man, you know, why is that? Why is it that like, I mean, clearly I'm not right about everything. I make mistakes. Um, and yet I take imperfect action. i move my bis- I move my business forward and I get results. Um, and, um, the answer was honest. It was, I don't know. You know, the answer was, I don't know why that is. I don't, I don't know why I am failing to take action. Right. And I can respect that answer. I can respect an honest answer. Um, but, you know, taking imperfect action, that's kind of what it is. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it requires a mental shift. Um, it's not going to be as easy as, hey, here's three steps. Just make sure you're doing it. You see, for some people, it's easy to sit back and to critique others. You know, it's easy for them to sit back and consume information. Sit through two-hour webinars. Listen to hour and a half long podcasts like this one <laughs> and just consume information. They get their brains loaded up with information from multiple sources and then they feel like they can just critique someone, right? And, and the sad, the sad truth to that is, you know, the people who come to that group coaching call for my insiders, that's a waste. That's such a waste to critique me. That's dumb because I never came to the group coaching call like a man who, who said he was perfect. I came to the group coaching call like a man who built something from nothing. And I can give you all my experience and I can give you all of my, I can give you my time and I can give you my experience and I can give you my opinion on what you're doing, Right. And what I suggest, what I suggested to that person and what I suggest to anybody is, you know, if you get someone like that who has built something from nothing, right, and you ask them their opinion on something, take what you can from them, disregard what you don't agree with, and move on, man. Move forward. Don't sit there and try to critique them and analyze them. You know, you're wasting your energy on things that do not matter because the fact is if you're at a group coaching call and you're there to move your business forward, don't focus on the speaker. Don't focus on the person who's answering questions. I mean, you're talking to someone who's done it. You know, you're talking to someone who walks the path. Now, if you don't walk the path, don't judge someone who walks the path. Don't feel like you're in a place to critique someone who walks the path. Take what you can from that person and their experience and, you know, disregard the things you don't agree with. Um, but it's, it's a severe waste of energy to try to critique that person. That's, that's my opinion on it. That's, that's how I feel about it. But I bring that story up just to point out the fact that it is not easy. It is not easy. Um, and, and, you know, I don't think that people who do that, um, I don't think they're trying to be jerks. I don't think they're trying to be critical. I think they're stuck, man. I think they're stuck in a loop. They're stuck in a loop. They're stuck in an information loop. They're just consuming information and consuming information. They have all this analytical information and they get everything in theory, right? They get it all right. So then it makes it, it makes it easy to be like an armchair quarterback and sit back and like critique somebody like that, you know, but man, look, there's a difference between understanding war and going to war. There's a big difference. So, I I mean, that's what I'll say about that. Um, When it comes to imperfect action, you know, I don't blame anybody. It's harder than uh, it's harder than it looks. It's easy to say, take imperfect action, but it's very easy to Get caught in a loop. It's very easy to get caught in a loop, Um, but I would implore you all to really, really focus on what you're doing. You know, when you have a when you have a chance to talk to someone with experience, when you have a chance to talk to someone who's actually done it, um, man, bring your questions. Bring your real questions. Bring your real questions, not not some dumb questions. Bring your real questions that can help you personally right? You guys, I can't tell you how many live streams and group coaching calls and Facebook live streams that I do. I'm very accessible to people. I can't, I can't tell you how many I do. And like, nobody comes with questions. Nobody comes with good questions, right? All the questions are are generally done by email, um, or like Facebook comment section, or I'm sorry, YouTube comment section, not Facebook, never Facebook. You don't get a lot of Facebook comments on with questions. I mean, on Facebook, too many people are trying to vie for authority on Facebook. So you don't, you don't get a lot of that in in the internet marketing space, but on YouTube you do, you get people asking questions on YouTube uh, and you get people asking questions by email. Um, but I, i implore you, you know, if you ever get to be a part of a group coaching, uh, experience, um, I implore you, uh, you know, listen, you know, ask questions that are gonna move your business forward. Um, I'm not perfect, and my business is not perfect, but I take imperfect action and I adjust all the time, right? You know, I've been running a format for two or three years on my YouTube channel um, where I did one video a week, right? And you know, it started out videos about Amazon and selling on Amazon, and then it kind of moved on into other stuff, you know, affiliate marketing and, you know, membership sites and product launching and stuff like that. It kind of evolved. As I evolved as an entrepreneur, my YouTube channel evolved, right? And as I became influenced by people like, you know, Casey Neistat and Ben Brown and all these big YouTubers who I really enjoyed their, their videos, I tried to kind of step up my YouTube game. You know, I tried to kind of step up my, uh, you know, kind of the way my YouTube videos looked and, and kind of the way I, way I edited them mostly. Uh, not as much the way they looked. I, did, I never focused on the, the camera uh, quality as much. Um, I did move, move my videos up to seven 780 and 1080p, I think. But uh, other than that, um, I didn't go out and get a really expensive camera. Um, but I did try to get better as a video editor and you'll see that in some of my earlier videos, you know, and then, you know, I really, really got into watching the Joe Rogan podcast. I really got into the UFC a couple years ago and that's how I learned about Joe Rogan. And then I really got into the Joe Rogan podcast and I noticed I was watching all the episodes on YouTube. I was watching all the podcast episodes on YouTube, um, and I kind of started getting an idea in my mind that I wanted to change the format of my YouTube channel to more of a podcast-style format. Um, and, and that's what I did. And, you know, I took a shot and I took a risk. And we're talking about something I've been doing for a while. Um, and I just I just took a chance and changed it around. Um, and I do that, man. And you guys, look, I'm not going to lie to you. You know, sometimes I take risks and they don't work out. Sometimes I take risks and I feel like a big, dumb, risk-taking fool, right? And I don't even know why I take some risks sometimes. I just feel the need to constantly push the envelope, and I don't know why that is. Um, that's just something something that I have that I deal with. Um, I can tell you, you know, I, I remember doing a product launch, you know, s- several months ago now that it just, it, it, it you know to a lot of people, it seemed like it was fairly successful because it did over $5,000. $5, it wasn't bad, but I ran a reverse sales funnel on it. And it was a reverse sales funnel. It was the high ticket product was in the front. And then it kind of went to a lower ticket product and then a small sales funnel off the lower ticket product. Um, and it was a very um, very eccentric, eccentric sales funnel. It was very strange. Um, and I just wanted to, Test it. I just wanted to push it, and I did. Uh, you know, look, I probably lost. I probably, I probably did about half what I should have done on that product launch if I would have ran a normal sales funnel on it. But I didn't. Um, and I just, I like to push the envelope, and I like to test things. They don't always work. Sometimes they work fantastically. I'm not gonna sit here and brag about some of the things I've done. Um, but you know, we could talk about that in another video or whatever, but I'm not going to talk about it here. But yeah, I mean, look, obviously if, if, if some of the things I've tried haven't worked, I wouldn't be working for myself. Okay. I wouldn't be, I'm sitting here in an office right now that I rent out on a monthly basis. Uh, I'm not at my house. I'm actually in an office building right now. And, um, you know, I pay a home mortgage. I pay, uh, a rent on this office space. I pay for two cable um, internets and various other monthly expenses. Obviously if some of my risks risks did not pan out, then I wouldn't be able to do that. I'd be working for someone else who knew how to make money. But the truth is I know how to make money. So how do we get there? Well, I'll tell you, um, number one, you can't be afraid to take risks. Number two, you work on minimizing your risks right you you work on minimizing the damage that your risks cause right you see i was able to do that weird reverse sales funnel several months ago i knew my damage was minimized because i had a membership site i knew my damage was minimized because i had a youtube channel i knew my damage was minimized because i had a few different income sources right so i had things in place to minimize my damage so and I think that's, that's what you got to do as a smart entrepreneur. Um, but uh, I'll tell you something. <clears throat> you waste too much time critiquing people and learning all the time and not taking enough imperfect action. You have to take imperfect action. If you don't take imperfect action, you're never going to win. That's all there is to it. You're never going to know everything. Especially on the internet because it's a dynamic environment. Things are always changing. You know, you could be an expert on YouTube this year, and by this time next year, you could be a newbie because you don't know what you're talking about anymore. Things have changed, right? YouTube of two years ago is totally different than it is today. Totally different. So, I mean... you have to cut off the information loop. You know, give yourself a set amount of time to to learn something. Like maybe give yourself 3 days to learn as much as you can about something and then jump in. Guys, I started this podcast with, you know, a a set amount of knowledge on podcasting. I'm nowhere near an expert on podcasting whatsoever. Um, I jumped into it. I knew I'd like podcasts. Um, I knew I had enjoyed listening to them. I knew that I done some research on them. I saw that they were starting to blow up as a popular medium. And I know that I like audience building. So I wanted to get in on the podcast thing, right? And I did, man. And I'm not perfect. And the longer I do this, the better I'll get at it. And that's just the way it is, man. And that's the way I see it. And I think you've got to approach it like that as an entrepreneur. If you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you've got to approach it like that a little bit. you just got to jump in, right? And you can never forget that, you know, that's not just like taking the big risks, you guys. Um, That's also the little things like doing a YouTube video, right? Jump in. It doesn't have to be perfect. And I tell you a, a good tactic when you're doing things and you don't feel like you're that good at them or they're not that great. Own it. Just own it, man. Own it. Let people know, hey, this is my first blog post ever. I don't generally do a lot of writing but I'm just getting started and I'm committing to doing at least one of these every single week. This first one's about this boom, 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 right? Own it in the beginning, because when you own things like that, you take a perceived weakness and you turn it into a strength because now you're becoming honest with your, your you're becoming honest with your audience. It's transparent. You know, it's a, um, it's a very admirable quality, right? So just own your own, your weaknesses and you can turn them into perceived. You can, you can turn those perceived weaknesses into strengths. I've seen it over and over and over again, okay? I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Easy Money Show. Coming at you on behalf of EpicConversions.com and the Epic Conversions Insiders Club. That's my monthly membership program where you get free mentoring once a month. We have a group coaching session. It's always awesome. It's always live, and it's always fantastic. People walk away with a lot of cool information and a lot of stuff that helps them move their business forward. Our next one's October 7th, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. We do it on the first Saturday of every month. We get together. People come to me with their questions, um, and we get their businesses moving forward. We also drop weekly actionable content in the Insiders Club. Put out a new product every single month in the IM space. The Insiders Club gets it for free, right? Drops in the Insiders Club every single month. Actually, uh, yesterday I just released the newest one. It's a cool affiliate marketing strategy to help you get review copies. Review copies on affiliate products, getting approved for affiliate products is very challenging for people just getting into affiliate marketing. It's kind of a hard thing. If you don't have any sales under your belt and nobody knows who you are, when you go requesting a review copy of a product, product vendors are going to see that you have no sales, you're just like a nobody, and they're going to be like, man, <laughs> who is this cat? He just wants a copy of my product, right? So it gets a little bit hard to get review copies sometimes. So in the Insiders Club this week, yesterday, we dropped a nice little strategy that's going to super, super, super improve your your uh, your uh, percentages of getting those review copies, as well as getting approved to promote products. You guys are going to love that in the Insiders Club. That's a cheap promotion from my Epic Conversions Insiders Club. Anyways, cool. All right i <clears throat> got a story for you guys. It's called The Rise of Ingo. So there's a guy, Charles Ingo. I found his blog uh, the other day when I was surfing on the internet, looking for things to talk about this week's podcast. And I found this crazy biography uh, this guy wrote on his blog. This guy's name is Charles, Charles Ingo. Right? And he wrote this six-part biography, six chapters. And I think it's a really cool story. And, you know, this week, I kind of had a theme on the Insider. I, I kind of had a theme on the Easy Money Show uh, just about, you know, taking imperfect action and getting started. You know, I know that in my internet marketing career and in my career making money online, I've taken a lot of imperfect action. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's a high and sometimes it's a low, man. When it works, it feels awesome. And when it doesn't work, you got to pick yourself up off the floor, man, because you kind of feel like a failure for a little while. Um, you know, me, I know me when I when I hit those, uh, those low spots, um, you know, I, I, I take it. I just take it, man. Maybe I lose my mind for a day or two and I'm right back on the grind and I just get back into it because, you know, you have to have a short memory in this game for success and for failure. Um, you got to you got to remember what works. You got to remember what doesn't work. You got to take the data you can from things, but you got to move forward. You know you can't be content with what you do, um, and you definitely can't dwell on the failures. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this uh, rise of Ingo story, though. Uh, I'm gonna read right from Charles's uh, Charles's blog. Hope he doesn't mind. I want to give you guys a story. If you'd like to read it for yourselves, check out Charles Ingo. That's C H A R L E S N G O dot com. It's called The Rise of Ingo, Chapter One, and I will put a link to this. In the description. Um, Chapter one, society focuses on the product, more on the product than the process. I think a lot of people have a misconception about what it takes to be a successful internet marketer. Gurus will tell you, you can make 10,000 in your first month of learning, but only if you buy their $1,000 course established guys will post pictures of the vacation and toys on facebook very rarely will you see people writing about the difficulties of the industry it's not a sexy subject and everyone wants to paint themselves as a prodigy everyone new to my industry wonders what is it really like to go from a complete beginner to a super affiliate i hate using this word by the way For every guy that hits $10,000 a day, there are thousands of other guys who barely achieve any success. What makes the difference? I don't know what the typical beginning is like for others. I can only share what I went through. I'll do my best to keep it as real as my goal is to share my experience so you can learn from it rather than to stroke my own ego. What you'll discover is I'm not an internet marketing prodigy. Six years ago, I was in the same position you're probably in now, reading affiliate marketing blogs, losing money on campaigns, and wondering if this industry is even legit. I don't really, know, I don't really like to get very personal on my blog, so I'm hoping I can inspire some of you to take action. What's my passion? My story starts in 2007. I always had this feeling of frustration in college. I was a semester away from graduation from Georgia Tech, but at 22, I still had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. While others were applying for grad school and their first jobs, I was trying to figure out my path. Everyone seems to give the same advice. Just follow your passion. I wasn't really passionate about anything. I mean, I liked playing StarCraft and going to the clubs on weekends, but I wasn't really looking to make a career out of those. I've always known I wanted to be a business owner of some sort. When I was a kid, I would use my Chinese New Year's money to buy a bulk candy at Sam's Club and resell them during classes. Around high school, I had a CD burner, Factor and Napster, and I was selling custom mixtapes. I also made a chunk of change flipping Stone of Jordans and rare items from Diablo 2. I didn't have very many people around me with an entrepreneurial spirit. The few that were around did some shady stuff like trying to be pro poker players or selling weed, or they were caught up in some multi-level marketing scheme, Amway, World Financial Group, Herbalife. I didn't mind getting a nine-to-five job after graduation, but I couldn't imagine myself doing that for 40-plus years. What really ignited me was reading the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It introduced me to the concept of the rat race, one, get good grades, two, go to college, three, Get a job. Four, work your ass off for that promotion. Five, get that promotion. Upgrade your lifestyle. Six, new house, new BMW, debt. Seven, get another promotion. Eight, better house, better car. Nine, get old. Ten, look in the mirror and wonder what happened. Eleven, die. (laughs) Reading about the rat race scared me. I'm not a religious guy, so as far as I'm concerned, this life is, is it. I wanted to live a life that would allow me to die with zero regrets. I didn't want to spend my life taking orders from someone else or making my boss rich. Also, traveling is a huge part of my identity, so how could I see the world with two weeks of vacation a year? To keep my spirits up, I read books. I didn't have much money at the time, so my Saturdays were spent leeching off of Barnes & Noble's. I pretty much read whatever was on the top ten list in the business section. Think and Grow Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. The four hour work week, the millionaire next door, how to win friends and influence people. I knew I wasn't smart and had a solid work ethic. I knew I was smart and had a solid work ethic, but I didn't have direction. The eBay days. My 22nd birthday was coming up, and I decided to get a present for myself. I settled on a digital camera since I'd never had one before. I thought I should be taking some pics to remember my college days. Unfortunately, the cannon I wanted was 300 bucks, which was twice my budget. My mom taught me to always try to find a sale or deal before buying something expensive, so I went to Fat Wallet and Slick Deals. They have forums where people are constantly posting insane deals, liquidation sales, price mistakes, coupons, etc., I was able to find the exact Canon I wanted on sale. It was originally 300 bucks, but someone outlined a method to buy it for $140. I can't remember the exact process, but it involved price matching a competitor and then applying a coupon. I went to Staples that afternoon and left with the camera that cost me $150. I was playing around with the camera, excited that I was able to beat the system, but then an idea struck me. How much could I resell this camera for? A quick search on eBay showed it was selling for $270. I listed it on eBay, jacked the shipping up to $20, and made a quick $150 profit for an hour's worth of work. Why settle for $150? I went to every Staples in Atlanta and maxed out my credit card. I ended up buying around 10 cameras with my $1,500 credit limit at the time and flipped them all on eBay. I was doing classic Price arbitraging, buy low and sell high. At that time I was working at a gas station on the weekends for eight dollars and twenty-five cents an hour. That week, for three hours of work, I made about fifteen hundred bucks in profit. For sixteen hours of work at a gas station, I made $128. The next week I went to the gas station and quit my job. I found an opportunity and I had to go at it with the full force. Took a risk, didn't he? He took a risk. Chapter two. Gives us a chance to load. The next few months I spent improving my system on hot deal arbitrage. I remember attending lectures and sitting in the back with my laptop glued to Fat Wallet and slick deals. If someone posted a hot deal, I had to jump on it immediately, or else it would be sold out in minutes. One time I remember skipping an entire day of classes to take advantage of a best buy price mistake. I missed a class on entrepreneurship in order to do my own entrepreneurship. I think my professor would have liked that excuse. The best part of my system was I couldn't lose money. I could do rough calculations on my profit margins before I bought the item. One, How much does this item cost me after taxes and shipping? Two, how much has it recently sold for on eBay or Craigslist? Three, how easy is it to sell this item and how fast can I sell it? Four, what will eBay and PayPal fees be? Five, can I overcharge on shipping and make a profit? It was a foolproof way to make money because I could always return the item if I couldn't sell it. The more I did this, the better I got at it. Some weeks I could make a thousand or two, but some weeks I would make zero. I was relying on stores having amazing deals, and some weeks there weren't any amazing deals. I don't think you could sustain a career doing this, but for me as a student, this was great. Over the next few months, I started learning some business principles on my own. One, patience. I had a slow week and decided to buy some low ROI, that's return on investment items. I figured 20% ROI was better than sitting around with the cash doing nothing. Wrong. A few days later, I found an amazing deal that had the potential of 150% ROI, but I had no money. My cash was all tied up in that 20% ROI deal. If I had been more patient and waited for a better opportunity, I would have made a lot more money. From that point on, I made a rule to go for only 100% plus ROI items. Two, time. This business was taking up a lot of time. I had to con- constantly find deals, list the items on eBay, print labels, pack the items, ship them, etc. To list the items, I bought some software and made templates using Octiva. For the packing and shipping, I enlisted the help of my friends who would stop by every day to pack items and take them to the campus post office. I paid them 50 bucks a week for not a lot of work. Three, research. I started going on eBay forums and finding out ways to save money and game the system. I found out I could save a lot of money by shipping with USPS flat rate boxes, plus they gave away boxes. My eBay account didn't have a lot of feedback scores, so I bought recipe ebooks and pretty much bought feedback for one penny each. I also researched the best times to list auctions and the best length of time to keep them going. Each day, I was getting better and better at this game. Four, competitor research. I knew I wasn't the only person doing this hot deal arbitrage. There had to be other people making money from this, and I was sure there was a lot more experience than I was. Whenever I had a really good item for sale, I would see who else was selling the item. I'd visit their profile to see what else they were selling and found things I never thought of before. My specialty item were computers and computer monitors. Every few weeks, there'd be a killer deal on a decent computer and LCD monitor set for about $350, usually from Dell. I found that I could sell the items separately. The computer for $350 and the LCD monitor for around $250, making a profit of $250. What I liked about these deals was that I could sell them locally on Craigslist and save on shipping and PayPal fees. The best part was the turnaround time. I could list an item, sell it the same day. With eBay, I would have to do a three-day listing, ship it to the buyer, and then transfer the money from my PayPal to my bank account. Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Earlier, I mentioned that I did research to see what other guys were selling. One day, I checked out a competitor's profile and saw an interesting item they were selling. I did some research and saw I could buy the item for 50 bucks and resell it for 300 bucks on eBay. I found a contact on Alibaba from Guagzajo. <laughs> What's cool was we Skyped and he gave me a discount on the order for being Cantonese. I sent out a $2,000 Western Union money transfer, which was a required minimum for the order. If he screwed me out of the deal, that $2,000 was gone. Those were nerve-wracking two weeks. The items came, and the next two months, I made $25,000 profit. I went from making eight twenty-five an hour to $12,000 a month within three months. I knew things were too good to be true, and my PayPal account got pay- banned. Not going to get into why. To make things worse, they froze $10,000 I had in that account for the next six months. Even though I made a good profit for that time, I think I would have made more over the long run if I had stuck to my original system. It felt nice to have money for once. I didn't have any more credit card debt. I could fill my gas tank to full each time, and I could take my girlfriend out to restaurants nicer than $5 faux joints. They say money can't buy happiness, but trust me, life's a lot better when you don't have to worry about your finances. The biggest takeaway from my eBay days was that I wanted to make my living on the Internet somehow. I could set my own hours. I could work from anywhere, and I could rely on the internet because it was only going to get bigger. This was my calling in life. I had no idea what to do, but now I had a direction to go in. Discovering internet marketing. The first time I heard of internet marketing was through the four-hour work week. I read it and got inspired, but I still didn't know how to apply the concepts. I spent a few weeks going Google searches on how to make money online. The problem was I had no clue who was fake and who was real. And it seemed like everyone was trying to sell me something. Were people really falling for this shit? Make $10,000 a day by pushing a button? Somehow, my web surfing landed me on a Make Money Online blog where the guy broke down his earnings made just from blogging. John Chow, Income Report, June 2007. Are you kidding me? $12,000 a month just from blogging? From John Chow's blog, I went on to discover shoe money. This famous picture of an AdSense check for $130,000 blew me away and opened my eyes to the potential of internet marketing. I found these two guys to be pretty inspirational. John Chow is an older guy with a bad accent and Shoe Money used to work in a customer service and was obese. These guys had their disadvantages when they started out, but were still able to overcome them and find success through internet marketing. That's what I realized. I had no excuse to not be successful. I now saw that the internet marketing doesn't discriminate when it comes to success. Maybe I don't have the right look to be a model, or I'm not tall enough to be a basketball player, or maybe I don't have the right connections to get into investment banking. But internet marketing doesn't care. It doesn't matter if you have a college degree, what race you are, or if you're living in a third world country. All that matters is whether you have the skills to do the work. So now that I discovered internet marketing, I spent the next six months trying to learn it chapter three. Let's let this thing load here. Hope you guys are enjoying this story. I thought it was pretty interesting. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't read this whole story. I I read the beginning of it and I said, you know what? This story looks fantastic. I want to read it on on my podcast. So that's what we're doing. Hopefully, Charles Ingo doesn't give me a cease and desist. Hopefully, he doesn't mind that I'm sharing this his story on this podcast. Um, I, I I did uh, let you guys know how to find the original story. I think it's a fantastic story. I think it's inspirational. Uh, let's get into chapter three. Okay, the next phase of my journey was what I call the black hole of internet marketing. For every ten thousand people who try to make money online, maybe five will actually end up earning a full time living from it. Why? Information overload, affiliate marketing, ebooks, blogging, YouTube, vlogger, SEO, e commerce, consulting, develop a service, four hour work week, muse, etc. The problem is some people can't focus and end up drowning in opportunities. Shit information. You don't have enough experience yet to separate the dirt from the diamonds. Most bloggers and the internet marketing just write Fluff, because they have no knowledge. They make their income by pretending to be experts so they can sell products and prostitute themselves for paid reviews. Forums are full of keyword warriors who don't make money. No action. Don't confuse motion with action. Motion is reading about shooting a basketball, and action is going on the basketball court and shooting the basketball. The problem is most guys will spend 90% of their time reading and only 10% doing fear and laziness hold them back since my first exposure to internet marketing was shoe money and john chow i thought that blogging was where the money was i got an account at hostgator and set up my own wordpress site i decided on two different niches the first was a make money online blog from a newbie perspective yeah not very creative But I wanted the second topic to be in a field that wasn't competitive yet, but that would boom in popularity. Around that time, the new show called The Pickup Artist was airing on VH1. I thought interest in this niche would explode in the upcoming months. I didn't know much about the topic, but that didn't matter. I googled PUA websites and rewrote articles. For about two months, I was blogging every day. I learned everything from scratch, setting up hosting, signing up for AdSense and affiliate programs, marketing the blog, etc. I plastered my blog with AdSense ads and felt a rush every time someone clicked and I earned 5 cents. To promote the website, I posted all day on forums and promote on social media such as Dig, Netscape, etc. The most amazing feeling I experienced was when I converted my first lead. I was promoting David D'Angelo's ebook and earned a $40 commission. A few weeks later, the check came in the mail. The moment I deposited that check, I realized this industry was real. After two months, I gave up on blogging. I realized the best blogs come from people who are already experts in the subject. I just told myself, I'll start charlesingo.com a few years later when I actually know what I'm do- talking about. Free versus paid traffic. I spent the majority of my time going to different forums and blogs, and it definitely looked like paid traffic was the place to be. To get sales, you need people to visit your website. There are primarily two methods to generate traffic, free, so that's search engine optimization, article marketing, etc., or paid, spending money on AdWords, Facebook ads, banners, etc., A large majority of people were doing search engine optimization at the time, but I didn't want my livelihood to be dependent on just Google. What if they had a big algorithm change and it messed up all my websites? Also, it just seemed like all the guys doing paid traffic made a lot more money. I shifted from blogging to paid search. Now, all my time was spent learning about Google AdWords, Yahoo search, and Facebook ads, which was just opening up soon, graduation, and the job search. I graduated from Georgia Tech in December of 2007. Unfortunately, I still wasn't making money from affiliate marketing, so this meant I had to find a job to fund my living expenses and pay for my business. PayPal locked my $10,000 for a few more months, and since the account was also banned, I couldn't flip items on eBay anymore. I started my job search on Monster and CareerBuilder. I had a degree in business and marketing, so I was just trying to find whatever job I could get. My main concern was about the hours because I wanted to work on affiliate marketing at night. I went for several interviews and got three job offers. One was in sales, one was at a junior analyst, and one was to work for an internet marketing agency in Atlanta. I ended up accepting the internet marketing job, even though it paid less than the others. With that job, I was helping with the AdWords account of a Fortune 500 company. The money is the motive? We've all been raised. Okay, sorry, guys. Money was never my primary motivation. What motivated me was the thought that internet marketing was my chance at the life I wanted. Growing up, I never excelled at anything in life. I wasn't the best student. I didn't play sports, and I didn't have a hobbies outside of video games. Deep down, I just needed to prove myself that I could be really good at something. How many people drift through life just existing? For the first time, I felt like I had a real goal and purpose. We all have dreams of what we want to do when we grow up, but we live in a system that's designed to beat you down. As a kid, you enter school, and for the next 15 years, you're being molded into a person who is supposed to listen and obey. The people at the top don't want a society of thinkers. They want worker bees who never question anything. Once you get that new house, new car, and credit card bills, you're a slave to the system. People sell out their potential and dreams just so they can keep up with the Joneses. We only have one shot at life, so why settle for being a hamster in a wheel? The journey to success is lonely. When I was staying at home on the weekends building my business, everyone was out clubbing and getting drunk. I preferred reading books about copywriting to to playing video games or watching TV. What helped me through the daily grind was visualizing the future I wanted. Sacrifice today for a better tomorrow. If you tell others you want to do this internet marketing thing, some are going to discourage you and say it's unrealistic or a scam. Why? Because they've already given up on their dreams and they, have, and they want more company. If you end up succeeding, it'll make them feel worse and less secure. Discouraging, it, you, discouraging you is their way of protecting their own egos and a way of nipping your dreams in the bud. Hmm. Chapter 4. Six chapters in this, you guys. Six chapters in this. And that's true. What are you saying about your friends discouraging you and and all that stuff? I found that to be quite true. It's really weird. It's not at all what I expected, man. Not at all what I expected. But yeah, it's really true. Kind of took me by surprise, to be honest. February 2008, chapter 4. The next chapter in my life involved balancing the demands of my first real job and trying to learn affiliate marketing on the side. Here's what my schedule looked like for the following few months. Weekdays, 7 a.m., wake up to do morning routine, get stuck in traffic. 9 a.m., arrive at work. 5 p.m., go home. 6 p.m., actually get home, shower, eat dinner. 7 p.m., work on affiliate marketing. 2 a.m., sleep. <laughs> Weekends, 7 a.m., wake up, do the morning routine. 8 a.m., work on affiliate marketing. 5 p.m., hang out with my girlfriend. 12 a.m., sleep. I was pretty much working two jobs. By day, I was in the corporate world helping manage PPC accounts, and at night, I was working on my side business. I actually loved my 9 to 5 job. They had amazing clients, and my coworkers and bosses were awesome. If I didn't succeed with affiliate marketing, I would have continued working in the agency world. How did a job at an agency help me? I became super proficient with Excel. Pivot tables, easy. I saw how an agency deals with clients to keep them happy. Constant, constant exposure to Google AdWords. By being an employee for half a year, I learned different management styles and what makes a good boss. Between the job and my affiliate marketing, I was thinking about internet marketing every hour of the day. I was learning fast as if I was Goku, Dragon Ball Z, training in the hyperbolic time chamber. What's your excuse? I noticed whenever people try to break into the industry, they always have excuses ready. I don't have any money, my schedule is too busy, or I'm not really good at technical stuff. They make excuses before they even start. It's like they have already preparing themselves for failure. Most excuses are made for ego protection. People don't want to feel like they've failed because they didn't work hard enough or weren't smart enough. So blaming other things makes it easier. I've seen 16-year-old affiliates. I've seen 60-year-old affiliates. I've seen women affiliates. I've seen affiliates from really poor countries like India, and I know that most of the industry people don't have a college degree. Whatever excuses you have is not valid. No matter how bad your situation is, I guarantee you that many people have had it worse and still succeeded. You just have to play the cards you're dealt in life to the best of your ability and not waste energy wishing you had better cards. Even a 7-to-2 offsuit, Can beat pocket aces. I need more money. It's interesting to see that money and personal finance have become uncomfortable topics to think about. It's weird to ask someone how much money they're making. People keep hitting with over people keep getting hit with overdraft charges because they feel uncomfortable looking at their bank accounts. Running a business means you need to keep a really tight leash on your finances. I was bootstrapping the operation myself and it cost money, servers, tools, and paying for the actual traffic. I simply needed more money, and there were only two ways to do it: increase my income and decrease my expenses. There wasn't much I could do to increase my income since I was making a salary So I turned to freelancing to earn some extra cash. I didn't have any major talents like programming or graphic design, but I noticed people were buying 500-word articles for SEO content for $15 each. I spent a few hours each week researching and writing articles and was able to make an extra $500 a month doing it. To decrease my living expenses, I moved to my friend's house and paid only $350 a month for a room. I saved on my groceries by clipping coupons. I rarely went out to eat, mostly cooked at home. Between the articles, writing, and decreasing my living expenses, I was able to scrounge up around $900 a month I could dedicate to affiliate marketing. My mindset was that every dollar I saved was a few clicks I could put towards my campaign. Every campaign I could afford was me moving an inch closer to my goals. For the previous five years, I was driving a 1995 Acura Legend, which literally broke down on the highway at 200,000 miles. Fixing the car would cost me more than the car was worth. I really didn't have the money to spare, but I needed a new ride. What was weird was even though I wasn't making as much at my job, the car dealership approved me for a $40,000 car loan. At a ridiculously high interest rate, the salesman was trying to sell me a dream. What he didn't realize was my dream wasn't a BMW 3 Series. My dream was a GTR or a Porsche 911. Having a high monthly payment and wasting thousands of dollars on paying interest on a car that I didn't really want was taking money away from my goal. I went to the local credit union and got a reasonable $10,000 loan with a 3.5% APR. I bought a used red Lexus IS300. On the road to success, there will be a series of tests designed to kick you off your path. Being offered that new BMW was a test drive. It was a test. (laughs) Having to choose to work at night instead of playing video games was a test. Dealing with negativity was a test. Anyone who was negative about my ambition was cut off from my life. Life throws these tests at you to see how bad you really want it. Success only rewards those who deserve it. Dealing with failure. 14 campaigns, all failures, minus $4,000. Most sane people would have quit a long time ago, and I wouldn't blame them. How did I stay motivated? I kept telling myself, it only takes one campaign. Seriously, all I need to do is just stay persistent and keep learning. If I keep launching campaigns, one of them is bound for glory. Most people quit because they put too much pressure on themselves and have an unrealistic timeline. It's like the fat guy who works out for two weeks then quits because he hasn't lost any weight. It's hard to see progress when you're in the trenches. You have to stick to your goals and have faith in the process. I never had any doubt in my mind that I would eventually make a full-time living from this industry. Why? Why? I'm a huge fan of having smaller but realistic goals. I wasn't trying to be a millionaire. This was early 2008 and there weren't any ballers in the industry yet. After reading the four hour work week, I just wanted to make around 40,000 a year and travel in Asia. My thinking was quite simple. The more you practice something, the better you get at it. Can't talk to women cold approach 500 women and you will improve suck at chess play 500 games you will improve not a good writer spend 30 minutes writing every single day and you will improve i concluded that affiliate marketing was a skill the only way to improve it was through constant practice i didn't mind losing money as long as i was learning from each mistake the mistake that most people make is they believe there's a magic bullet they can find in a forum or a blog post. They read and read and read and never implement what they learn. The problem with reading and no action is you don't have the right perspective to understand the material. Everyone's impatient and wants instant results. These kind of people don't achieve their goals, but they make amazing customers. Why do people get stuck in the pattern of reading and never actually working? Pain avoidance. Let's say I want to become a better writer and I write 15 minutes a day. I'm not really losing anything other than the cost of time. Internet marketing comes with several pain points. If you fail, you can lose money and people don't like the feeling of sucking at something. When I lost $300, I didn't think about what I could have bought with that money. I didn't think about new games or a new nice dinner. I reframed that loss as a game. I just spent $300 on data on a lesson that I can't learn anywhere else. People want to learn while avoiding pain. Reading books, ebooks, blog posts, and forums make them feel like they are learning about this stuff without actually going through the pain. The different campaigns I tried. Some niches I did. A ClickBank product for reversing someone's phone number. A ClickBank product for an online tattoo gallery website. Credit reports. Home insurance. Ringtones. And I was bidding on song titles. I heard payday loans were quite hot. I decided not to do it because they were just too dirty, even by my standards. I was only working on Google AdWords campaigns at the time. There were plenty of traffic sources to choose from, but I felt I had a natural advantage with this platform because of my 9-to-5 job. The problem with AdWords, though, is that it's one of the hardest traffic sources to understand and optimize. You have to deal with quality score, keyword research, grouping the keyword, bid prices, etc. For a newbie, that's a lot of optimization. My campaigns were becoming a source of great frustration for me. Every week I would research a campaign, set it up, launch it and lose money. After a campaign started losing money, I didn't really know how to optimize it. Not only that, but I had no clue whether I should stop a bleeding campaign or try to make it work. My conclusion was to give a, was to always stop the bleeding and switch to a new campaign. My affiliate managers were always telling me about a new hot offer, and I always thought, this is the one. As a newbie, you feel frequently confused because you don't have enough experience yet to separate the gems from the dirt. Big shout-out to my original affiliate managers, Greenberg at Kopiak, Fraser at CD, CXD Digital, Sezler at Azugle, and Leanne at Neverblue. I didn't know anyone in the industry, and it was my affiliate managers that let me know this industry was real and there were people out there making this work. Even though I had a peasant affiliate status for months, they still found time to answer any questions I had. With each campaign, I thought I was getting closer and closer to profitability. Tracking 202 wasn't available yet, so I had to do some really filthy tracking using PHP and passing sub-IDs. I learned how to create landing pages from scratch. I started applying what I learned from copywriting into creating ads, and it was amazing to actually see results from the techniques. I didn't have a profitable campaign yet, but I knew if I kept going, I'd hit one sooner or later. All that mattered was that I kept faith and stayed on my path. The $100,000 blog post. There was a lot of shitty affiliate marketing blogs back in, back then. 99% of the blogs today still are. But my favorite one was nickycakes.com. Most of his posts were calling out people in the industry on their bullshit, but occasionally he dropped some gems if you were smart enough to see them. I was reading his blog and came across his blog post. Still can't make money with Facebook? Nick gave away a profitable gaming campaign on Facebook. My initial thoughts when I saw this post was that it was already too late to run this campaign. He has thousands of readers, and I, and I was quite sure that a bunch of them already launched the campaign. How can I compete in a new niche on a new platform against guys who have had more money and experience than me? I made a big commitment then, and I told myself, I'm not quitting this campaign until I lose $1,000. I figured the problem was that every time my campaign lost money, I would, switch, I would switch to another offer rather than actually try to figure out how to improve it. Chapter 5. It's a long story, guys, but I think it's really good, and I think, I think there's a really good message in it. I, mean, I love how he starts way back at the beginning with uh, eBay and goes into all this stuff. This is fantastic. March 2008. I'm going to analyze the campaign from my newbie perspective. My methods have obviously evolved since then. Some of these techniques aren't the best practices for 2013. I'm just trying to give you insight into how I approached the campaign as a newbie. Reading Nick's post, I came to a few conclusions about the campaign. I wanted to direct link this offer. I needed to brainstorm images. I used in-game screenshots to begin with. I pretty much used the headline examples Nikki Cakes gave, plus came up with my own stuff game of the year 2008 better than half-life 2 free fps game play games in your browser etc remember that this was my very first time advertising on facebook all my previous campaigns were with google adwords in order to optimize i wanted to keep them as simple as possible i thought of it as a science experiment which has controlled variables independent variables and dependent variables test one what are the best age groups controlled variable Elements that you keep the same. The offer images and ad text would kept identical. I just picked an image that did well. Used game of the year 2008 as the headline and and featured one offer. Independent variable. Why am I changing or testing? What am I changing or testing? I'm testing the age groups. Dependent variable. The new value that changes. Basically, I'm looking at the click-through rates, CPCs, and the return on investment. First thing I did was split test the age groups. And then he he gives a series of age groups, guys. I split the initial bids high. The results, the results that were the 13 to 18, 19 to 21, and 22 to 25 demographic did the best. 19 to 21 group was the most profitable. Unfortunately, I lost money and was at minus 100% ROI. No big deal. Test two, what's the best headline? I used the 19 to 21 age group since it did the best, and I just used an in-game screenshot. Remember, I'm only testing one thing at a time. For the headline, I decided to test Game of the Year 2008 versus Better Than Half-Life 2 versus You Suck at This Game. This was a big aha moment for me. Better Than Half-Life 2 doubled the CTR of the other two. I was comparing this game to a more popular one, and it worked. It's like saying your new band is better than the Beatles. It's going to get people curious. I, didn't, I did another headline test where I used the top five most popular first-person shooting games at the time. There was one game that absolutely demolished the rest of them. I'm not going to mention which game that was since I don't want to get into trouble. Test three, what's the best image? While going through test two, I realized I, it was important to find the best angle, the best way to approach campaign on a creative level. Now that I knew the best angle headline... <clears throat> I needed to find the best image to go along with it. I used Google Image Search and pulled in-game screenshots from that ultra-popular FPS game I found in the headline test. I couldn't believe my eyes. The images gave me an absurd CTR. I can't remember what the CTR was, but I remember that my clicks were like $0.02 to $0.03 each, but my earnings per click were like $0.30 EPC. The first day the campaign popped, I spent maybe $350 and generated $1,000 in profit. It was insane. I would repeatedly refresh my stats, and the numbers kept going higher and higher. Pro tip, just because an ad has the highest CTR doesn't mean it's the best. You need to also check the conversion rate of the ad through a tracker. I've had some ads that got extremely high click-through rates, losing money because they didn't convert well. I didn't have a tracker back then, so I just went with CTR to measure the effectiveness of the ad. Expanding the Campaign now that i found the best angle and best images, it was time to scale. Originally, I tested only one demographic. So now I took the best headline image combination and expanded the campaign to the rest of the age brackets. I also expanded the campaign to other countries such as Canada and the United Kingdom. Expanding to those countries was easy profit because these countries weren't as competitive. Cash flow issues. A big problem was coming up. I was running out of money. I was on monthly checks from Neverblue and requested to be upgraded to weekly wire payments. The issue was the first wire would come in about two weeks, and I could only last another two days at the rate I was going. I needed a few thousand dollars, and I needed it fast. I didn't even consider asking my parents because I wanted them to think of me as a man. If I achieved success, it would be 100% on my own. The only person I knew who could let me borrow that kind of money was my roommate at the time. I was living in his house. I had never borrowed money in my life and didn't want to do it now. Instead, I was going to make him a business proposition. I told him I have a business that's doing 500% ROI. I pulled up Facebook and never blew and showed him the numbers. My proposition was if he loaned me $5,000, I would give him $7,500 within a month. That's a 50% ROI for him, for him. He gave me the cash with no questions and asked and said, He gave me the cash with no questions asked and said if I didn't pay him back, he would kill me in my sleep. (laughs) Analyzing the campaign from my 2013 perspective. There were a few things that made this campaign successful for me. The biggest one was that I simplified the optimization process and made a very clear plan. This was the beginning of developing my system of optimizing campaigns. My Google campaigns were way too confusing. I had to optimize the landing page, the offer, the keywords, the bids, the quality score, the ads, etc. Which do I test first? Do I test them all at the same time or one by one? I didn't have the experience yet to handle this many variables. With the instant action campaign, many variables were eliminated. Offer, I didn't have to split test offers or offer pages. The offer was instant action and there was only one page, landing page. I direct linked so I didn't need to have a landing page. No quality score to deal with. In AdWords, you have to group your keywords in a certain way, and you don't know the best way to do it because it's subjective. It was so much easier to understand when I I grouped my campaigns by age brackets. I realized that you can't master every traffic source. Some people just understand the optimization process easier for one place over another. One of my friends is amazing with media buys, but he can't grasp mobile. I wasn't really good at AdWords, despite my experience, but Facebook came as naturally to me as Koreans and StarCraft. The biggest difference maker in this campaign was the fact that Nikki said this campaign worked. I had affiliate managers telling me that this campaign was hot, that campaign was hot, etc. Having someone like Nikki saying the campaign works gave me the confidence to continue working at the campaign, even if it was losing money at first. Gaming on Facebook still makes money if you're a newbie. I highly encourage you to get into it. Here is what the campaign taught me to avoid A, don't advertise to such a young demographic. My ads were directed towards people under 21. People under 21 don't have credit cards. The leads won't pan out, and you'll get kicked off the offer. P, B, Don't use screenshots from other games. Even though the CTRs are nice, it lowers the quality of the lead, and you risk getting sued. Spending my first check. When I got to work at the end of my first month, I saw a direct deposit pay stub on my desk. I was paid $2,500 for my first month working there. I had made $2,500 profit the previous two days from affiliate marketing. Two weeks later, the first Never Blue Wire came in for $7,000. (laughs) How would I spin my first wire? You have to think <laughs> How did I spin my first wire? You have to thank the people who got you to where you are. I wrote a check to my parents to help them out with the with the bills. And the last chapter, I mentioned that I needed to be frugal in order to cut costs to invest in my business. I didn't mind it at all because I knew where I was heading. I was quite fortunate to have a girlfriend at the time who never complained about how cheap I was. I drove her to Phipps Plaza and told her to pick out any handbag she wanted. Oh, man, thank you for picking a coach bag instead of that Chanel. A samurai needs the sharpest sword, and an internet marketer needs the fastest technology. I upgraded my $10 a month shared hosting from HostGator to a dedicated server from Liquid Blue. I'm still using them today. I was using a really slow five-year-old computer at the time and upgraded to a new Mac. I wasn't thinking I made it yet. Anyone can have a lucky campaign, but I knew I needed to test whether I could be profitable and other traffic sources and verticals to see if I had the skill. Now that I had a test of success, I smelled blood and was hungry for more. I knew that my life would never be the same again. Last chapter, guys. We're getting into the last chapter on this thing. It's been pretty good, man. It's amazing. This guy goes from, you know, doing retail arbitrage to making thousands and thousands of dollars of Facebook ads. It's a good story, man. Chapter 6, 2008, summer. Life was good. I had a steady income up from my job, and I was making three times more money from my affiliate campaigns. I was starting to get burnt out from a lack of sleep and the amount of work I was doing. I took a look at my daily schedule and decided I could save two hours a day if I got my own apartment next to work. I didn't use that extra two hours to work more. I used it to make sure that I got enough sleep each day. The instant action was running strong for a few months, but then I hit a roadblock. The advertiser lowered everyone's payout from $1.50 to $0.75 a lead. It happens with the new advertisers a lot. When they start, they're not familiar with their metrics yet to realize they're losing money. The good news is Neverblue gave me the exclusive on this offer. Since their budget was lowered, it was probably easier to work with one guy who had consistent traffic than have to balance caps among 10-plus affiliates. I was able to keep the campaign running strong despite the 50% payout drop. My cost per click started to drop once I was the only person able to run this offer. My guess is people were copying my angles and creatives, and that accelerated the audience's banner blindness. My cost got lower now because I didn't have to compete against my own creations. I learned two major lessons from my first campaign that have stuck with me till this day. A, don't be afraid of competition. I assumed that this campaign was too hard to compete, Since Nikki posted it on his blog for the affiliate marketing world to see, I didn't even want to launch it at first, yet I was able to dominate this niche. If a niche has a lot of competition, it's because there's money to be made. Don't be scared. Who who wants to be number one in a $500 a day niche? The ceiling is too low to grow. The tougher the competition is, the more you can develop your skill set. If you want to be a better athlete, you have to compete against people better than you i've been I've been in some of the toughest niches and traffic sources in history. Success boils down to being consistent with your testing and always aiming to improve. He tests three angles, I test ten. He tests five different landing pages. I test a hundred variations of it using multivariant testing. I'm fortunate to be a hard worker in an industry full of lazy people. as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, right. I like that. I am fortunate to be a hard worker in an industry full of lazy people. B, the first mover advantage – I got an exclusive on this offer because I got in on it early and did volume. If you're one of the first in a new niche, offer, or traffic source, everything is much easier. There's less competition, and your market is more effective because the audience hasn't seen your techniques before. If people are talking about how hot an offer is, then you're not getting in early enough, kind of like with stocks. Be an initiator, not a follower. My cash flow finally caught up with my spending, and this freed up my time. Energy and cash to pursue more campaigns. Facebook campaigns. Facebook was a pain in the butt back then. Still is because there wasn't a power editor, bulk upload tools, or any API. Each campaign I launched had to be uploaded by hand. The worst feeling was spending half an hour uploading a few campaigns only to have all the ads disapproved. And meant I had to start all over again. Fortunately, I was able to make some campaigns work outside the gaming niche. Survey Cash. This was a lead generation offer on how to make money working from home. I discovered a neat trick to increase my click-through rates. I made a campaign group for each age. I called out their age in the title. For example, I had an age group for 21-year-olds only. The headline would be, 21 and need cash? I learned a lot. I learned the power of segmenting your audience and creating ultra-targeted ads from them. This technique's not allowed on Facebook anymore, by the way. Images. This campaign was when I discovered a strategy to get high CTRs, aim for ads that are weird. A picture of just money isn't going to get an amazing CTR. Okay? Do you see the difference with these images? He's showing some images on this, you guys. Just images, you know, the difference between just a pile of money and a pile of money with like a weird stuff going on around it, like a weird uh, a guy with these weird sunglasses holding money, or uh, this lady jumping into a pile of a giant pile of money. So there's like almost like some some contrasting things going on there in those images. Um, I've always liked images that make you go "huh" and take a second look. The brain is biologically wired to notice irregularities in your environment. Create ads that stand out. Dating. On my personal Facebook page, I kept seeing dating ads. I figured if many people are running something, it must be making money. I decided to do something a little bit different. Focus on the Australian demographic. The dating niche was extremely simple to make money in. I would direct link, sneak in some ads with cleavage, and then profit. Sneaking in the ads was the hard part, and I started discovering tricks to make the process easier. For the example, there were certain times of the day when my ads were five times more likely to be approved. I also did something called the sandwich method. Instead of submitting three naughty ads in a row, I would submit 50-plus clean images and sneak the naughty ads in the middle. I figured the reviewers would just hit approve, 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 approve. And after 20 plus images in a row of clean images, they would start lowering their guard a bit. Goals. At this point, I was averaging about $10,000 a month in profit, but I had no intentions of quitting my job anytime soon. I still had student loans and a car loan. I didn't really have any money in savings yet. All my cash was being reinvested into my campaigns. I felt very uncomfortable knowing that all my income was based on campaigns run on Facebook. I'd only been affiliate marketing for about six months, and I had no idea how long it was going to last. My plan was just to make as much money as possible from it while it kept. Well, uh, now while keeping my job. I liked the security and cushion my job provided, and I was still learning tons every day. The eventual goal was to start doing affiliate marketing full-time, but I figured that was years down the road. Affiliate Summit East, 2008. The first major conference was coming up, and I knew I had to go. I requested a week off from work. Instead of using my vacation time to head to the beach... I chose a network with a bunch of nerds. It was an investment into my future. At this point, I still didn't know anybody in the industry. Don't obsess over finding a mentor. If you're new because I reached this point without anyone, (laughs) I read that weird, you guys. It's don't obsess over finding a mentor if you're new because I reached this point without anyone. How can you spot a newbie at a conference? They're the ones walking the floor, collecting free swag and stopping at every single booth. I collected so many pins from that show that 5 years later I still have a stash of them. The coolest part of the conference was affiliate managers talking, taking me out. I was riding around in limousines and eating fancy steak dinners. I realized something at the conference. Most of the affiliate marketers I met were around the same age I was, and most of them were already working full-time and making less money. What exactly was holding me back? A few things popped into my head. If I could make 10 k plus profit a month only working four hours a day, how much money could I make if I worked 12 plus hours a day? What's the worst-case scenario if I quit my job? If all my campaigns died, I had six months of work experience and a degree from Georgia Tech. I was pretty sure I could find another job if I had to. When I came back from Boston, I knew I had to walk into work the next day and put in my two weeks notice. The longer I would have stayed at my job, the more comfortable I would have grown. Comfort is the enemy of growth. I love that, man. That sounds great. Comfort is the enemy of growth. Was I scared? Hell yeah. This was a life-changing decision. I asked my friends and family what they thought I should do. They told me to keep the job for security. What is comfort compared to the life I wanted? I wanted a future without debt no one telling me what to do being able to travel whenever I wanted and most of all I wanted to control my own destiny when you are young you have to fail and make mistakes when life shows you two paths take the one that you'll regret the least one day I'll be old and see myself in the mirror what do I I want to wonder do I want to wonder what if do I want to wonder what if looks like we have got a chapter 7 here guys let's see what happens I think I think we're getting close to the end here. Quitting my job. The day I came back from Affiliate Summit East, I was ready to quit my job. I was extremely nervous because I'd seen some coworkers quit before, and it turned out ugly. I think that was because they were leaving for a competitor, and, well, I was leaving to work for myself. Fortunately, the boss was understanding, and I was able to leave the company in two weeks without any issues. If you are going to quit a job, do it properly and don't burn any bridges. You never know if you'll have to enter the 9-to-5 world again, and you might have to get a reference. Two weeks later, I was, on my, I was my own man. Adjusting to the new schedule. Felt weird to wake up on a Monday morning and not have to be anywhere. No classes and no work. I remember having friends in high school who were straight-A students but failed in Georgia Tech. Why? They worked well in strict supervision and schedules, but they couldn't handle a life without, with too much freedom. When you're in college, no one forces you to go to class, and you can be in bed anytime you want. It can be hard to study for your final exam when your friends are telling you to go to a party or join them next door for a Super Smash Bros. all-nighter. This phenomenon is what happens to many new affiliates once they quit their job, and it's what happened to me. It was harder than I thought to adapt to having complete control over my decisions. My initial thoughts were, if I could make this much money working five hours a day, I can make way more money working 15 hours a day. It's not that easy. My motivation levels plummeted. The past year, my goal was to be my own boss, and now I finally achieved it. I had five figures a month coming in from doing nothing. It was hard for me to work When the next room had my TV with Netflix and Xbox 360 waiting for me, I didn't know anything about productivity back then. All I ever did was rely on motivation and willpower, but they weren't there when I needed them. Shit hits the fan. I woke up to an email from Neverblue telling me I had to pause the gaming campaign. The advertiser found the creatives I was running where I compared their game to an extremely popular FPS at the time. They were scared of getting sued. And if I wanted to keep running the campaign, I had to use in-game screenshots to get all my creatives approved. Creative approval and a $0.75 payout? There's no way I could have made that profitable. I did my best, but the CTRs were horrible. If before I was paying $0.03 to $0.08 a click, now they skyrocketed to $0.25 a CPC because I lost my best ads. My dating campaign in Australia was doing a few hundred a day in profits. A few days after Instant Action got axed, I received an email letting me know that now they only wanted female traffic in order to keep their men-to-women ratio balanced. Anyone in the dating industry who knows that the dating for women niche is extremely difficult. We can't entice women with boobs, and there's way more competition in general for this type of traffic. Campaign 2 died. I was running a few more campaigns at the time, and they all died for various reasons. Even the campaigns I ran outside of Facebook were gone. A month earlier, I was making $3,000 a month at work and $10,000 a month with affiliate marketing traffic. A few weeks later, I was down to zero. Depression. Losing $200 on a new campaign is not a big deal when you're bringing $500 a day. But the psychology completely flips when you have no money coming in. The, lo- the losses hurt more. Instead of making data-driven decisions, you let your emotions take over. I, st- I was stopping campaigns before I had enough data. I was, slowing- I was slowly losing confidence in my abilities to optimize a campaign. The losses started piling up over the next few weeks. Ten campaigns launched and over 5,000 losses. I just stopped running campaigns. I was burnt out and didn't want to feel like a failure anymore. I started distracting myself to stop facing reality. My cousin and I started playing poker at shady places around the city. (laughs) I played video games all day. and When things got too depressing, I just drank myself to sleep. I felt like shit every time someone congratulated me on my success because I felt like a fraud. I avoided seeing anyone and told them work's really busy. I just wanted to sleep all day and pretend this was all a bad dream. Welcome to affiliate marketing. One moment you're at the top of the world and the next it can all be gone. It's hard to revisit some of these memories, but you need to know what's really like. On Facebook, you're only going to see pictures of cars, vacations, and fancy dinners. It's a place for image crafting and showing only the best side of yourself. No one likes sharing their failures despite it being a normal part of the business. Don't believe anyone who says this industry is easy. They're just trying to make money off of you. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. It's real. It's real. That's the real stuff. Spitting fire. October 2008. Some people think that you've made it once you quit your job, but the battle's just begun. Some people think that you've made it once you quit your job, but the battle's just begun. Now I've experienced the harsher realities of the affiliate world. It kind of feels like the game of craps. Woo! The highs can make you feel like you're a king of the world, but the lows make you feel like, well, crap. The campaigns die. New regulations come in. Accounts get banned. Your ads and landing pages get stolen. You get kicked off offers. I was starting to learn the failure as part of this game. Being a great affiliate means to be able to adapt and come out on top, no matter what Murphy's Law throws at you. Unfortunately, I wasn't handling the failures very well, and I would have been on my way back to the corporate world soon if I didn't snap out of it. I was basically avoiding reality and distracting myself as much as I could. It was weeks of video games, poker, and drinking. It now seemed to me that being an affiliate marketer was from another lifetime. One night, I literally spent 10 hours straight playing poker at an underground place in Atlanta. I came home at 5 a.m. with $10 worth of winnings. (laughs) I smelled like cigarettes from the venue, felt like shit, and looked like shit. I looked in the mirror and asked myself, what are you doing? I closed my eyes and thought about the past. It was only a year ago that I discovered affiliate marketing. I remember the excitement I had for this industry as a beginner, and I needed to channel that energy. I got out my notebook and wrote down the reasons why I had to succeed. I need to take care of my family and make money for my future family. I need to see the world. I need to be my own boss and be in control of my future. I need to prove to myself that I could really be good at something. I need to make this work so I can help others do the same one day. There's a big difference when you need something as opposed to want. Need meant I couldn't survive unless I met those requirements, and it meant I was willing to sacrifice whatever little energy I had left to keep going. Think and grow rich. The bounce back is largely mental. When you fail campaign after campaign, it can affect your confidence and your willpower to keep going. I had to step back and reevaluate how I approach things. If I did it before, I can do it again. I knew how to optimize campaigns. It was just a matter of my persistence. Even Jordan goes through periods of bad streaks. Maybe I doing maybe I was doing everything right and I was just having a bad luck. Back to zero. Something that intimidated me was that I was sure if I could do 3,000 profit days again, I told myself it didn't matter. My only goal now was to make a dollar profit. With a much smaller goal, I felt a burden was lifted off my shoulders. This isn't actually a big reason why people fail. They've done $10,000 profit days, and then their campaigns die. From then on, they want to do campaigns only that big, even if the times are different. They have too much pride to go back to $500 profit a day campaigns. I stopped all the bad habits. I started hanging out with people again, got rid of the video games, and stopped playing poker. If someone asked me how my business was, I told them I was having troubles and not doing very well. You know what happened? I got nothing but love. People would tell me their own stories of failure. Basically, this stopped being a burden. I had to hide and be ashamed of. Do or die. I still had a healthy amount of cash in the bank, so I wasn't doing bad financially. I told myself that all that money would go towards my campaigns. I didn't care if I lost everything. The money was already gone in my mind. Know your worst case scenario. I knew I could always go back to a job and rebuild. It's not the end of the world. No matter what happened with affiliate marketing, as long as as I was still handsome, life would be okay. The Comeback Kid. All right. No more messing around. Time for beast mode. I had my coffee ready and my playlist full of TI and Lil Wayne songs on repeat. I messaged my, all my affiliate managers for their advice on campaigns. By this point, I had enough experience to know which affiliate managers were bullshitting me and which ones were the real deal. I created a bunch of fake accounts on Facebook and did some spying to see what everyone else was running. Most campaigns failed. One hit hard. Really hard. I thought affiliate. I thought the affiliate network was having a technical glitch because the numbers didn't make sense. $100 spent and $500 profit? I haven't even optimized this campaign yet. A few days later, that $500 turned into a $5,000 profit day. I went to AdTech New York in in November 2008. At this point, I mainly was running my ads on AdWords and Facebook, but I decided to test a bunch of display network media buys. A week after that conference, I hit my first $10,000 profit day. By January 2009, I made my first million dollars in profit. There it is, guys. That was a long story, but you got the whole the whole thing. How Charles Ingo went from uh how Charles Ingo went from selling stuff on eBay, cameras, I think he started out with cameras, right? He went from selling cameras on eBay to Making mil- a million dollars in advertising, pretty cool, man. Kind of a long story, but it was it was neat. It was really cool. I gotta admit. One thing that really struck me on that story, the rise of Ingo. One thing that really struck me on that story, you guys, was his work ethic. I mean, Charles Ingo worked his ass off. I mean, he was making 10K a month and he still didn't have the confidence to quit his job. He was putting tons and tons of hours into what he was doing. He worked really, really hard. He grinded like crazy, man. That's one thing that, that I take away from that story. Let me know if, if you sat through this whole story, you've listened to this whole story that I read. Um, what are your takeaways? Let me know in the comment section. If you're watching this on YouTube, let me know in the comment section. I want to hear it. You know? We'll we'll have a conversation about it. <clears throat> Here's something else I've been thinking about lately this week. Is the internet a positive or a negative thing, you guys? I mean I work full-time on the internet, and I know some of you guys probably do too. And you know, the internet came around in 1990. That's when it first kind of like hit the scene, right? Now, in 1990 I was a freshman in high school. So I still very clearly remember a world without the internet. And I just been kind of wondering lately if the internet is a positive or a negative thing. What would I be doing if there was no internet? What would the world be like? Here's 25 ways the internet Has changed the world. And you guys will have to decide for yourself if you think it's better or worse. Okay? We don't have downtime anymore. Right? In the bathroom. On the metro. We're connected everywhere. Right? 24. We diagnose ourselves. Although this has increased our health awareness, it seems to have also increased the prevalence of hypochondria. Do any of you guys experience hypochondria? I know I'm a lot more uh, health conscious or aware of any kind of ailments I have now than I was back in the late 90s. Phone books, floppy disks, CDs, who uses these things anymore? Nobody. Nobody uses these things anymore. We don't use CDs anymore. They're obsolete, aren't they? Floppy disks, phone books, when was the last time anybody opened up a phone book? Even the watch industry has had to adjust, right? Now watches do everything, don't they? Now watches are like little mini computers. Not so back in the 90s. China has camps for internet addicts. China has camps for internet addicts. That's actually not too crazy. A lot of researchers are considering adding internet addiction to the list of mental disorders. There is actually high-speed internet access all the way up Mount Everest. These days, webcams are pretty ubiquitous. The first one was actually created to monitor a coffee pot at the University of Cambridge. We multitask more. The downside of all these open tabs, our productivity and efficiency actually decrease. Imagine that. We multitask more and our productivity and efficiency actually decrease. Don't forget our attention spans. 50% of internet users quit waiting for a video to load after 10 seconds. (laughs) I don't know that I can even wait 10 seconds for a video to load. Sometimes if I'm, if I'm waiting on a video to load and it takes more than three or four seconds, I'm already opening a new tab to check something else while that video's loading. <laughs> How many of you guys feel me on that one? It's interesting. Waiting for videos to load isn't our only issue. The average shot length of an English language film has decreased from 12 seconds in 1930 to only about 2 seconds in 2015. That's the shot length, guys, on a scene, right? A shot on a scene of a movie. The Postal Service is something that our grandparents used. Today, we send emails. Actually, we send about 204 million of them every minute. 204 million emails a minute most of China's internet users are on mobile phones not PCs in 1993 there were only 623 websites on the internet not anymore today more than a hundred thousand domains are registered every single day in 1993 there were only 623 websites on the internet today There's more than 100,000 domain names registered every single day. That's amazing. Remember internet addiction? Apparently 6% of the world's population has it. Before the internet, LOL meant lots of love. (laughs) Privacy is dying. We probably don't need too much explaining here. Remember encyclopedias? The ones that came in big sets and had one volume per letter? Well, Wikipedia took care of that. Speaking of Wikipedia, public opinion has drastically shifted. Ten years ago, it was the website that your teachers warned you about. It's not reliable. These days, people understand the dangers, but they usually just check the sources. Only 5% of the world's 7,700 languages have made it to the Internet. Some people believe that this might lead to significantly more linguistic extinction. We already mentioned phone books, but these days we don't even memorize telephone numbers. That's true. That's absolutely true. I don't memorize very many telephone numbers at all. How about you guys? I got people's names in my phone, and boom, I just hit the dial and go, right? I don't memorize telephone numbers and that's crazy you know because when i was in high school i had a set of telephone numbers memorized you know my parents number my home number you know i had it memorized my grandparents number my buddy's number i had a few numbers just memorized i didn't have to look them up we don't even memorize telephone numbers anymore Music stores, banks, photo stores, retailers, etc., have all either moved online or gone out of business. It's true. I went to Best Buy uh, a few weeks back because I had to get something for my computer. And I, I went and I looked at the music section, and it was like there was like a half an aisle, you guys, for music CDs. Half an aisle dedicated to music CDs. Now I remember, just like maybe it was 2009. Uh, of course, I guess 2009 was a little while ago. I was still working on my last job at the hospital I worked at, and I remember once that one one time I I, uh, I, st- I was I worked all night and I got off work in the morning and, it, and it, I was excited because a band I really liked was putting out a new CD, and I just I, I just drove from work all the way to the parking lot at Best Buy. And I waited till they opened. You know, I got some breakfast. I just sat in the parking lot, ate my breakfast, and waited on them to open. I had worked all night, and they opened at nine. Went in there and bought that CD. And at that time, the whole back half of that store was aisles of CDs. That must have been what, like 2008, 2009, something like that. And now, flash forward, here we are to 2017, and CDs have like a half of an aisle back there. You know, it's amazing. 2010, Finland became the first country to declare internet access as a legal right. <laughs> that seems unnecessary to me. Well What's the point of that? In spite of this, only 37.9% of people in the world have access to the internet. At least one person a year, the number of people with regular internet access is significantly lower. In spite of this, only 37.9% of people in the world have access to internet at least once per year. The number of people with regular internet access is significantly lower. I want to go back to number two here. In 2010, Finland became the first country to declare internet access as a legal right. Why would internet access be a legal right? Why would it be someone's right to have internet access? That's kind of scary. I think that's a little scary. Sign of the times, folks. Sign of the times. There's 25 ways the internet has changed. 25 ways the internet has changed. Let me just close some of these tabs real quick. I'm getting confused. Too much multitasking. That came from list25.com. 25 ways the internet has changed the world for better or worse. You guys want to check it out? Go check it out. List25.com. So the internet's funny, you know, it kind of reminds me of the Hedgehog's Dilemma, you know, the Hedgehog's Dilemma, you guys know the Hedgehog's Dilemma, or the Porcupine's Dilemma, some people call it. So here's the the concept of that, if you don't know what that is. Um, It's it's basically like a German parable, and it, it goes like this, okay, so a number of porcupines huddled together for warmth on a cold day in winter. But as they, began, uh, as they began to prick one another with their quilts, they were obliged to disperse, right? So they were trying to huddle together because it was cold, but they were starting to prick, you know, prick each other with their quills, so they had to disperse away from each other. However, the cold drove them together again when just the same thing happened. At last, after many turns of huddling and dispersing, they discovered that they would be best off by remaining at a little distance from one another. In the same way, the need of society drives the human porcupines together, only to be mutually repelled by the many prickly and disagreeable qualities of their nature. The moderate distance, which they at last discover to be the only tolerable condition of intercourse, is the code of politeness and fine manners. And those who transgress it are roughly told in the English phrase to keep their distance. By this arrangement, the mutual need of warmth is only very moderately satisfied, but the people do not get pricked. A man who has some heat in himself prefers to remain outside when he will neither prick other people nor get pricked himself. Um, guys, so basically that's <laughs> that's kind of another way of saying that like people are scared to really have true relationships with each other, right? For the most part... People have trouble having relationships with each other. They're afraid to get too close because of the nature of humanity. And it's interesting because I was thinking about the porcupine's dilemma and I was thinking about the internet and it was almost like, is the internet solving the hedgehog's dilemma? You know, I, I, and I know that the truth is it's not, you know, but I could see the illusion of people feeling like it is. I could see the illusion of people feeling like, "Hey, the internet allows me to have you know relationships with people and and, and and interact with people, but not have to really deal with any of the pain of getting too close to other people, right? Not not have to deal with the pain of being in, in meaningful relationships with people, right? It's almost like the internet is isolating us as a society, somewhat. I don't know. It, it's really interesting. I just found a weird kind of like." Uh, congruency there between the hedgehog's dilemma and the internet. You guys, tell me what you think. What do you think about it? Let me know in the comments section. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. It's kind of interesting. Here's another thing I thought was interesting about the internet. Then I'll stop talking about this internet stuff. But I, I, I want to talk to you about this one because I noticed, you know, I never had problems with anxiety before. Um, but since I've been working online for myself full time, um, I have had more anxiety. I've had more anxiety. And the weird thing is I'll get them at night sometimes. I won't even have any problems. I'll wake up in the middle of the night with crazy anxiety. It'll be insane. I won't know what's causing it. I'll have no reason to have it. It'll just be the weirdest, crazy thing. If you wonder what I do about that, I use breathing techniques to try to calm myself down. So I don't know. Not the most perfect answer, but hey, that's what I do. Maybe it'll help some of you. So I found this interesting article over here on lovetoknow.com. It's how the internet causes health anxiety. Because I was interested in seeing if other people were experiencing anxiety. And I kind of felt like in a certain way that the internet was somehow causing all this extra anxiety. Because <laughs> I never had it before. So I just kind of wondered, you know. So this whole article about it, you know. Are you aware of how the internet causes health anxiety? Now most people would agree That the creation of the internet has made life simpler. You don't have to go to the library to do research. It can be done from home. You also don't have to drive from store to store to price compare anything from tires to tap shoes to cell phones. The internet has been a blessing in many respects, except when it comes to our health. What is health anxiety? When we say health anxiety, we're talking about an actual medical diagnosis. It is an anxiety disorder that happens to fall under the obsessive-compulsive disorder spectrum. Those that have health anxiety are constantly worrying about being sick and becoming sick. This is more than hypochondria. This is a belief that a symptom a person may be experiencing relates to a major physical illness, AIDS, HIV, cancer, COPD, heart attack. It's an important to note that the person with health anxiety can fixate on any disease. Those lists that are just the most common symptoms. There are a number of symptoms associated with this anxiety disorder. Typically a person will visually scan his or her body for signs of an ailment. For example, if they have a headache, they may believe that it's a brain tumor or if someone has forgotten where he left his cell phone, he may take that to mean he has Alzheimer's. Others believe that they have a certain medical condition. They look for, they look, for one of the many symptoms they can find related to the medical diagnosis, seek out a medical professional who will diagnose them with that disease or ailment. They will scour the internet looking for the meaning of any issue they have. This is how the internet causes health anxiety. Here is how the internet causes it, right? Google has made it very easy for the average person to self diagnose. Websites such as WebMD, Health Online, and the Mayo Clinic offer reputable medical information supplied by medical experts. These sites will let you put in your symptoms into a search and bring up a list of possible diagnoses. Many people just want to know if it's something worth calling the doctor about and then move on. For those that have health anxiety, though, it is a fast road to disaster. This is because a person with this anxiety disorder is not able to make that quick switch in her head that tells her, hey, it's okay, nothing serious then go on about the day. The person with this disorder will search headache and ringing in the ears to see that those are two symptoms are associated with brain tumors, high blood pressure, a possible stroke, and then believe he has one of those conditions. Most searching will lead to more information about his possible illness. She won't stop searching until she's determined for sure which ailment she has and how long she has to live. Too much of a good thing. While WebMD, Healthline, and Mayo Clinic offer reliable health information, many sites do not. This is because the content on those sites is written by the average person with no medical experience but a flair for research. The best source of medical information you can get is from a trained medical professional. The information you find on the internet should only be used to help you decide if you should call the doctor. Relax and breathe. I'm skipping some of this. There are times when you have to accept that your headache is just that. It's a headache. That every time you feel a pain in your chest, it's not necessarily a heart attack. The web offers a plethora of medical information, which is how the Internet causes health anxiety. Your best source for health information is actually your medical care professional. All right, guys, that's not my opinion. That's just an article I was skimming and reading. I want you guys to know something. I truly believe in this health anxiety stuff. I've experienced some of it myself. But I also want you to know something else. I don't trust these damn doctors. Not not one bit. These damn doctors, man, (laughs) they got everybody on prescription medicine. It's absolutely ridiculous. They are bought and paid for by these damn pharmaceutical companies. And I'm telling you that. That's how I believe. That's my opinion. Feel free to leave your opinion in the comment section. I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. That's what I believe. I don't want to get into it too much i'm telling you i don't trust these damn doctors and it's a shame man it's a shame you know if you got a problem you should be able to go to the doctor and get get true insight true medical advice from someone who's been to school has had years of college education that's what you're paying them for i mean i came to you i paid you money for your insight i want to know your your educated opinion about what, what what's going on with me, man. I didn't pay you money so you could push some bullshit medicine on me because these cats have the reps coming in your doors, giving you donuts and, and prizes and candy every day. You're on somebody's payroll for talking at seminars and stuff. Give me a break, man. Give me a break. Anyways, that, that's my opinion on it. I won't go any more into it. But I'll tell you guys something. It's it's not. I mean, it, it's really a crazy thing about the internet. You know, um, it, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? It's a double-edged sword, and that's really the truth of it. Um, when I when I read all those articles to you guys, and, and I and I think about it in my mind about about what's happening with the internet and and the way things are today, I mean, I'm left with the feeling that. I mean, we should all be unplugging sometimes. We shouldn't just stay plugged in. You know, I find myself in an awkward position. You know, I'm the, I'm the person who makes my money on the internet, and yet I see the double-edged sword. I see how the internet is not just helping me; it's also hurting me. And I think it's not just me. I think it's a lot of people. And I think that um, I think it's important to unplug regularly. Get your space away from it. You know. Breathe the free air again, man, to quote Lord of the Rings. Breathe the free air again, my friends. Go to the park. Take a jog. Hang out with your friends in real life for a change. Call them up. Get off of Facebook for a couple weeks. You know what I'm saying? All right, Q&A. You guys know I get a lot of questions. I get a lot of questions. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them are funny, man. I get some funny questions. I wanted to share this funny question with you guys. I thought, you know, it made me laugh. And, uh, I mean, this guy's just a character, man. So I thought I'd share this question with you. Okay, here it goes. It's like I'm stuck in a bucket of my own crap. It is warm and squishy. And the problem is that I'm used to it. I'm used to the smell and where it has gotten me in life and what it is producing for me. I need to take action. I watch all your videos but lately you have not been promoting anything. Where do I start? How much do I need? When can I begin? Thanks for all your help, brother. (laughs) The guy's stuck in a bucket of his own crap, you guys. Come on. (laughs) How can you not help a guy like that? What would it be like to be stuck in a bucket of your own crap? It's warm and squishy. (laughs) i'll tell you guys what i told i'll tell you some of what i told him i won't go into all of it but i'll tell you one thing i told him was first of all man you're a hell of a descriptive writer you're a hell of a descriptive writer it's funny and entertaining and uh, i I really don't see any why you can't be doing some content marketing with with those kind of writing skills You're, you're a hell of a writer. You ought, to, you ought to start a blog and, and publish some blog posts. I'm quite sure you'll, you'll start building an audience pretty quick with those kind of chops. I thought it was pretty good. Um, this guy wants to know where to get started, um, and I get that question a lot, but you guys, w- where to get started? Um, you need to get started by building audience. You know, building an audience, the core of that audience is the email list. So I think the best way to do that is with, um, I think that the best way to do that, you guys is publishing consistently in a place where people are at all the time. And I I know I've said that before, but it's worth saying again, I mean, places like Facebook, places like YouTube, places like LinkedIn, places where there is a large group of people who care about what you have to talk about, right? So go to those places and publish consistently. And, and that's kind of how you, you start to build an audience around yourself, and then you put those people on an email list, right? So that—that's what I would say about that. Now, obviously, you guys know about the second way, and we've talked about this before. I just read a giant, a giant biography by Charles Ingo, and you guys saw how he did it. You guys saw how he did it. He didn't use any audience building. He went straight for paid traffic, paid traffic, and he sent paid traffic directly to offers. You guys saw that. You guys also saw how he was spending money. He was putting a lot of money into it to learn, right? And even after he was making 10K a month doing paid advertising, you guys still saw the bottom fall out. You saw the bottom fall out. You saw him get super depressed. Then you saw him pick himself back up and, 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 and get back to, to profit, and he eventually got to a million dollars. How many people wouldn't have made it that far? How many people would have said, screw it, and just went back to work? Probably plenty. You guys, you guys. I read the whole thing to you. You saw, you know this guy's work ethic. How many of you out there can say, I have that kind of work ethic, right? I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is he had a hell of a lot of work ethic and he lost a lot of money getting to where he was a millionaire. Um, And, and what I'm telling you is, Uh, It takes time and it takes money to do paid advertising and it takes a hell of a lot of testing. Um, And with content marketing and with the free stuff, it takes time. It takes time. It takes time and it takes consistency, right? So either way, you're going to be spending time. You're going to be learning. um, Just just one of those ways are free and, you know, well, besides your time. And one of those ways is going to cost you money. Either way, you're going to be investing. So um, that's what I'd say about that. Um, you guys know my you guys know my take on that. Um, all right, I got a story for you. I got a story for you. This is the Craigslist story. You guys are gonna like this. It's good. It's really good. How a seventeen year old Craigslist how a seventeen year old Craigslist swapped an old phone for a Porsche, All right? Starting with an old cell phone a friend gave him, a 17-year-old Stephen Ortiz of Glendora, California, used Craigslist to trade up 14 times over two years and eventually ended up with a Porsche Boxster. Here's how he did it. Although Ortiz's story isn't the first, isn't the first time we've seen Craigslist swap, writ language, it's the first it's the first one we've seen that doesn't include any outside help. You may remember Kyle McDonald. You guys heard me talking about Kyle McDonald last week on the Easy Money Show. Um, Kyle McDonald he uh, he traded from one red paperclip all the way to a house. It worked. It was awesome. But McDonald also had a built-in fan base, right, and publicity from his website, right. He he already had people that were following him. Right, So he had a little bit of help there. Ortiz, a 17-year-old high school kid, had no such help. Instead, he spent the better part of two years tied to his iPhone, skimming Craigslist, and carefully picking out trades he knew he could benefit from. Starting with an old cell phone that was given to him for free by a friend, Stephen used the barter section of Craigslist to move up to a better phone. He then traded the phone for an iPod Touch. The iPod Touch for a dirt bike, which was turned around several times for other better dirt bikes. And then a MacBook Pro arrived, which opened the door to, ve- to vehicles. The MacBook Pro was traded for a Toyota 4Runner, which was then bartered for a custom off-road golf cart. Keep in mind that Steven was only 15 at the time, so even if he kept that 4Runner, he couldn't drive it anywhere. The golf cart was then traded for a much more expensive dirt bike. The dirt bike was traded for a street bike, and then Steven traded that for a series of boring cars ending up With a sweet 1975 Ford Bronco. Had we been Steven, we'd probably have stopped there. As it doesn't get much better than an old Ford Bronco. However, by the time he acquired the Bronco, he was of driving age. After enjoying it for a while, he decided to mix things up and go for a Porsche. It was actually a trade down. One that we can't really fault him for. Everyone needs to own a Porsche at least once in their life. The Bronco was probably worth more than the $9,000 asking price on the 2000 Boxster. But it will probably pay dividends in the halls of his high school. The total number of trade transactions between old cell phone and Porsche Boxster, 14. Reality is setting in. However, and the obnoxious maintenance cost that goes along with owning a Porsche are making the car hard to live with. Naturally, Stephen is turning his eye toward a new car. He's thinking about a Cadillac Escalade. It's interesting, right, you guys? The kid took two years to trade an old cell phone up to a Porsche, and he was 15 when he started doing this. I mean, how many? I just thought it was an interesting story because I was, I was. I was on that red paperclip story, you know, and I was still kind of fascinated with the idea of bigger and better. And like, I found this story and I was just kind of like, that's amazing. This 15 year old kid traded an old cell phone up to a 2000 Porsche Boxster in 14 trades in two years. How many people dream of a car for decades in their life? And they say, maybe one day I'll get that car. One day I'll get that car. One day I'll have the money to get that car. This 15-year-old, within two years, took an old cell phone and traded it all the way to a Porsche Boxster. I mean, that's amazing to me, man. I mean, it's, it's like a testament that you can basically do anything you want to do. If you just have a little ambition and a mind to make it happen, you really can. I mean, my goodness gracious. It's, it's amazing. Just amazing, man. Just amazing. I want to know what you guys think about that story. Have you heard any stories like that? People make the impossible, the seemingly impossible happen possible. I want to hear about it. Let me know, man. What do you guys think about that? A 17-year-old kid with a Porsche started trading a cell phone when he was 15. 14 trades later, two years later, boom, he had a Porsche. The funny thing about it was between those two years, he had several other vehicles that he just traded up for. How many of you guys have been 15 years old, getting ready to turn 16, or around there, wanting to get a new car, wanting to get your first car, not having any money? You go out and you, buy, you get a job. You're trying to save money to get a car. Who would have thought that you could start when you were 15 with an old cell phone and just trade your way to a car that many 40-year-olds dream about. It's, it's bizarre. It's, just, it's, it's mind-blowing to me. If you're just tuning in, this is the Easy Money Show. It's the place where we're generally aware that people make money online, and we even talk about it sometimes. <laughs> we even talk about it sometimes. This is the Easy Money Show. I want to thank everybody for stopping by. Money shows, the Easy Money Show is brought to you on behalf of EpicConversions.com and the Epic Conversions Insiders Club where we give a free monthly group coaching session. We drop actionable content weekly. We drop a new product every single month inside the membership program, Epic Conversions Insiders Club. Me me and the Insiders Club is going down, all right? All right, guys, 101 blog post ideas. That will make your blog hot. 101 blog post ideas that will make your blog hot. I found this article over there on startbloggingonline.com if you want to check it out. All right, here we go. Run a contest, number one. Run a contest. A few years ago, you guys, I was doing a YouTube channel called Nutribullet Time. it's a YouTube channel. It was all about this blender, the Nutribullet. If you ever heard of the Nutribullet, just a simple blender. I, I made a YouTube channel just about this blender. Okay, and I was running a contest every single month. Well, it wasn't every single month. I was running a contest every thousand subscribers. I was going to give away a NutriBullet. All right, and then what I did was when when I hit a thousand subscribers, um, I would uh I would uh I would buy the NutriBullet on Amazon and ship it directly to the person who won the contest. Right, so. Very cool, very easy, super effective. It, I was averaging about a thousand subscribers a month uh, running that. So contests are really effective. Number two, review books, products, films, reviews, right? Number three, make comprehensive guides, tutorials. Number four, interview someone. Five, post a cool infographic. Six, criticize a website, blog, or a person. Critic- Criticizing always works, you guys. <laughs> you criticize something, that will get views every single time. People go to the races to watch the car crashes. That's just the way it is. Number seven, make a post full of gifts. Gifts are the symbol of online entertainment and humor. There are thousands of gifts and generators that help to produce new ones. Ten, write inspirational motivation posts with famous quotes. Create a, po- create a photo post. Share your favorite photos from your niche or personal photos from your latest traveling adventures. Keep in mind that you're not the author. Should always give credit to the original fo- fo- photographer by providing a link. Number nine is tell a personal secret. I kind of went backwards there. Sorry, guys. Tell a personal secret. We all have our dreams as well as secrets. Sharing them publicly gives very engaging content to the followers. As much as people love rumors, they love to know the dirty little secrets of other people. Eleven, share recent travel experiences. Twelve, host a giveaway. Giveaways are a little different than contests, you guys. I won't go into the crazy details of the differences. They're minute differences, but diff- giveaways are a little, different, a little different than contests. you know. Some platforms, if you're hosting on social media, some platforms don't want you running contests, but giveaways are okay. It was like that on YouTube for a while. You know, giveaways were cool, contests were not cool. So keep in mind, write down a conspiracy theory. Show log files of intense conversations. Write a short story. Sing a song. Create a list of something. Write down all thoughts you had in mind today. Share your goals, dreams, publicly. I'll tell you something about that share your goals and dreams publicly, you guys. i found over the last several years being an entrepreneur that when I put goals and, uh, and dreams out there into the universe, when I just announce them to people, um, they tend to happen. Not always, not always, but more times than not, I get a lot closer to those goals. When I put them out there, I, I don't know why that is. I'm not going to get all metaphysical about it, um, but I do notice that's something that happens. Maybe it has something to do with affirmation. I, I don't know. Make a link carnival and ask others to join. That's old school. That's old school. That whole link carnival thing is pretty old school. you have to check that out. Do a Google search on that link carnival thing. Uh, I don't even think I would do it justice trying to explain it here. Announce that you've turned the comments into do follow so you can get more comments. I think comments on blogs are almost dead, you know. You don't see a lot of people commenting on blogs anymore. I don't think the conversation is happening on blogs anymore. I think the conversation is happening on social media. I think you'll get more shares on blogs and a lot less uh, comments on blogs, you know. People will read your blog and instead of commenting on it, they'll actually take it back to like Facebook and share it on Facebook with their friends and their favorite Facebook group. (laughs) So that's the way that goes now. Um, I don't think, I think the dynamic has changed. Okay. Build your to do list. That's a nice one. I like that. Build your to do list. Write a post in response to some recent post that you've read, right? Kind of a reaction post. Make a full case study about something. Share your favorite blogs, bloggers, and one post. Kind of a roundup, right? Share your favorite blogs or bloggers in one post. Invite your readers to submit guest posts. Publish the best comments that your blog has received throughout history. I love that. That's a great idea. Publish the best comments that your blog has received throughout history. I think that would work fantastically for a YouTube channel as well. Share your blog's income and traffic numbers. Tell a joke, bust a myth, produce or publish your art, publish a post about your success and epic failures. That's a great one. Ask your readers to tweet, like, and share posts they like. Start a poll, write a post about the things you regret doing or not doing. Post a rhetorical question in your blog post. I think that would be really good for a Facebook post too to boost engagement on Facebook. 37 post a picture that speaks more than a thousand words. Sometimes you can and should post an images that tell us a story. It does not only grab attention and increase your visitors average time spent on the blog, but it also is extremely interesting. Publish some little or unknown facts. Publish an publish an in memoriam. <laughs> publish an in memorian post. It's polite to commemorate the people who pass away. You know what? I'm going to do a lot less reading on my next podcast episode. (laughs) This is too read heavy. This episode is too read heavy, man. Too read heavy. Doing too much reading. 40, bring out the most important dates in history. 41, tell all your latest event experiences. Publish your CV online. Show your previous experience and the things you're good at. You might get a job offer for doing that. Post an obvious lie. Ooh, that's interesting. I like that. You can turn things upside down when you tell an obvious lie inside your blog post. People might get mad at you, but that doesn't matter. I'd like to know more about what that means. You know, In the internet marketing space, it's not really too cool to lie. You know, kind of mess your credibility up there. Not quite sure what that means. I guess if it's, it's, it's an obvious lie, then I guess it kind of pulls attention in, doesn't it? If it's an obvious lie, it's almost obvious that you're 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 not being serious. It's it's an obvious lie, like saying the, the sky is yellow or something. Hmm. That's interesting. That's very interesting about the obvious lie thing. I'll have to kind of explore that a little bit more and think about it. Right where you'd like to travel. Blogs about marketing secrets. Write about the most important lessons you've learned in your life. Tell your readers what they should do to succeed. Do a video post about your day. Show off your personal stuff. Cars, houses, accessories. it off your personal stuff. Build a list. Build a list of your readers. You can use AWeber or MailChimp for that. Create a blog post about your bad habits. Offer free help in your industry to get new contacts. Research and analyze a topic in your industry. Answer to every single comment personally. Write a longer about me post. Create a post that utilizes a bar chart or pie chart. Write down your monthly personal budget and expenses. Participate in reciprocal guest posting. Post link bait. Make a post about your most popular posts. Publish a what-if post. I like that. I like that. I love that idea. Publish a what-if post. Use your imagination and write a post about what if you're going to move into another country or travel the world or win a billion dollars. People love to dream and believe that these things will happen to them. Publish online courses, ebooks. If you're an expert in your field, invest time in writing and publishing courses and ebooks. Create quality content. People will be ready to buy it. People are ready to buy it for a nice amount of money. When money is not an important aspect, publish the content for free. Turn on Gravatar images on your blog comments. Build your portfolio. Write in your everyday language, writing style. Share food recipes. Publish a post about cons and pros about something. Show others how to secure their blogs. Hold a conference or a webinar through blog posts. Ask for general feedback on your blog. Curate or summarize someone else's work, kind of like what we're doing right now. Publish a list of your own successful tweets. Social media posts based on retweets and likes. Guys, make sure you check out this list. If you like the stuff I'm talking about, each one of these has a little description underneath it. I'm kind of summarizing here, and I'm skimming this list a little bit. But if you get check out startbloginonline.com, 101 blog post ideas that make your blog hot, you can find a more in-depth version of what I'm talking about. Okay? 75, publish a manifesto. Compile a list of common mistakes in your niche. Publish a list of your most successful tweets or social media posts. That is a good blog post right there. Make a post about future plans. Write down an extremely long blog comments. Thank your audience for following you. Write about why you actually started blogging. Abandon your blog for a week and make others think, what happened to you? It's pretty risky, but if you're a famous blogger, this will get you a lot of buzz. Write the list of things and activities you want to do before death. Write a satirical blog post. Write a series of blog posts. Publish a question and answer blog post. Sorry guys, I just kind of was thinking about that satirical blog post thing. Satire never gets old, but don't be too harsh. These posts can easily go viral, but be sure you're prepared for backlash. Backlash. Publish a question and answers blog post. Post a quote. Launch a free ebook about your best blog posts. Run PPC campaign through Facebook to your blog post. That works. I've done that lots of times. The only thing about that, you guys, if you're running a PPC campaign through Facebook to your blog posts, make sure that your um Make sure that your opt-in or your lead magnet on your blog. Make sure there is some kind of monetization strategy with that. Make sure you have a funnel in place because if you don't, I mean, it's just it becomes just a brand awareness campaign. I mean, you need some kind of you need some kind of path to the money there, or else you're losing money in advertising. So that's what I'd say about that. Um, update, invest in customized blog post design. Make 404 page. That is a game. That's interesting. Never thought about that one. Make a handwritten post and publish it by taking a photo. I like that idea, man. I was thinking about that just the other day. A handwritten post, publish it by taking a photo. That's. I love that idea, man. I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be doing a, several of those. Make an ultimate resource post. Invite experts to comment on your posts. Make lists of useful and interesting people to follow in your niche. List nostalgic posts about different blogs in your niche and show readers how they've changed from 2000 by using web.archive. That's interesting. I like that. Link to new or interesting patents in your niche that amazes people. Ask some billionaire to write a post for you. As these people are often too busy to respond, they enjoy fame and publicity. This is definitely worth a try, even when you fail. Rant about something that really disturbs you. Create a list of online tools you find useful. Dare your readers to do something. Host a voting contest. Wish yourself yourself a happy birthday. Make a list of interesting stats in your niche. Repost a long email response to a reader's question. I like that. Repost a long email response to a reader's question. Write an FAQ post. Write an ultimate list. Create an A to Z post. Shout out to your mentors and fans. Showcase a reader. List the best apps in your niche. Write a makeover post. That's it. That's it, guys. That's all. That's got to be at least 101 of those things. It's got to be at least 101 of those things, man. Got to be at least 101. Q and A time. Q and A time. With so many options to earn money online, how do you choose? Affiliate marketing, ebook writing, freelance, social media marketing, information product. I feel paralyzed, and my head is spinning. With so many options to earn money online. How do you choose? This person's basically suffering from information overload, right? Right. The fact of the matter is, you guys, there's a lot of ways to make money online. And most of them are legit. I mean, there's some out there that I think are pretty damn scammy. A lot of that MLM stuff is kind of scammy, if you ask me. Uh, That multi-level marketing stuff. I don't know, man. Some people swear by the multi-level marketing stuff. I just think it's kind of scammy, personally. I'm not really into it. Um, this is gonna sound like a really kind of like cop out answer, but I really do believe it. Um, you have to you have to go for what you're interested in. I mean, you know, so many options to earn money online. Ebook writing. Free. See, look, here's the thing, and here's why I say go with what you're interested in. Number one, um, like. I enjoy the make money online space, right? I mean, God, I, I've been on this podcast with you guys for, uh, I mean, over two hours, you know, I couldn't have done that if I didn't care about talking about this stuff. Um, it, it would be impossible for me to, to, to deal with that. It, it's just ridiculous. I'm at a point in my life where I don't like doing things I don't want to do. I mean, if I don't want to do it, I'll figure out, I'll figure out how to make money doing something I want to do. That's it. You know, and I think everybody should adopt that mentality. Um, So, yeah, the first thing is pick something you actually give a crap about talking about. I mean, can you talk about it once a week? Can you bring yourself to talk about it once a week? I didn't say you had to be an expert in it. I'm just saying, can you talk about it once a week? Do you feel comfortable? I mean, do you feel comfortable doing a little research on it and maybe talking about what you learned that week? Right. If you can do that, that's the way I would go as far as niche selection is concerned. As far as like how you approach it, whether you want to do product launching, whether you want to do like a membership site, whether you want to do like a YouTube channel, whether you want to do this, whether you want to do that, um, you know, some of that I think depends. A lot of that just depends on what you're comfortable with. Are you more comfortable with video or are you more comfortable writing, right? And I think those are the two questions really that you kind of need to ask yourself. Do I feel more comfortable writing or more comfortable shooting video? Um, if you can shoot video, I mean, if you feel okay shooting video, I recommend starting on YouTube, man, because, you know, YouTube is a great place to build authority and uh, it just puts you in a nice position to build an audience. That, that's my opinion on it. Um, if you feel more comfortable writing, then me personally, I would go have the blog. But I, I would also be on Facebook too. I mean, every time you publish a post on your blog, I would cut and paste that post into a simple text post and put it on Facebook as a text post. Um, I, would have, uh, I would have at least five groups with over 1,000 people in those groups. I would be in those groups. I would be putting that text post in those groups. There would be no link in the post. Your name is the link. You know, the posts are going to help people. They're going to pull people around you. Um, They're going to click on your name, end up on your profile. You can, from there, you can drop breadcrumbs to your blog. They'll end up on your blog. They'll end up on your email list. But it all happens very organically. So that's what I would do, man. But I mean, you can do that anywhere. You can do that, you know, if you like taking pictures, you you can do the Instagram thing. You can do the Pinterest thing you can do linkedin i mean the the fact is you want to go where the people are right and then you want to pull them back to you know i mean i say that wrong they will filter back to like your blog and stuff but you build the audience right there where they are right the party's on facebook the party's on linkedin the party's on pinterest the party's not on your blog man nobody gives a shit about your blog okay so you know Your blog is just kind of like the the storefront. It's like the face of your business. Your business, the core of your business, is the email list. So, and you know, that's that's my take on that, man. And that's what I say when it comes to getting started. Um, But at at the end of it, man, at the end of the day, you got to burn all that stuff down. You got to pick one thing, and you got to burn it all down. Everything else has got to go. Like you pick the one thing, like you say, okay, man. I'm really into, like, um, hang gliding, you know? That's what I'm into, and I'm going to do YouTube. So, like, now you just want to be, like, as best you can on, on this subject, on this platform, right? And you, you just do as well as you can with the goal of putting people on an email list and monetizing that email list, right? So that that's what I'd say to that. I hope that helps. Um, huh, something blew me away today. Uh, current events here, uh, right here in Ohio, Uh, really not that far from where I'm at. Man, I'm in Springfield, Ohio. This happened in New Carlisle, Ohio, but I thought this was interesting. I was just talking to you guys about YouTube. Now listen to this, okay? An Ohio police officer accused a shooting news photographer, right? So a photojournalist in the small Ohio town of New Carlisle was allegedly shot by a police officer on Monday night after his camera and tripod was apparently mistaken for a weapon. <laughs> man, this sends chills down my spine, man, because I can't tell you how many times I've been out with a tripod and a camera doing some filming for YouTube videos all the damn time, man, Out of park, everywhere, you know. The New Carlisle News said their photographer, Adam Grimm, had been rushed to a local hospital after he was shot in his side. He underwent surgery and is expected to recover. Grimm had reportedly left the newspaper office around 10 p.m. to take photographs of lightning. In a 10.16 p.m. post to a New Carlisle Facebook group, Grimm reached out to locals for suggestions for a good spot to watch the storms. According to New Carlisle news, Grimm was driving along the town's main street when he noticed the traffic stop ahead. Guys, I want to give you a little bit of a background story on this New Carlisle. New Carlisle is a really small town. There's like two stoplights in the whole town, you guys. I used to play in this band back in 2006, 2007. It was based out of New Carlisle. There's like two stoplights in the whole damn town. It's very small. He said he pulled into a nearby parking lot in full view of the police officer on duty, intending to take photographs there. When he emerged from his vehicle and began setting up his tripod and camera, Grimm said he was shot without warning. New Carlisle News identified the officer who shot Grimm as Deputy Jake Shaw. Guys, can you imagine you pull over, you're setting up your tripod to take some pictures of the storm, and all of a sudden you start getting shot? (laughs) Can you imagine that? What the hell? the hell's happening man what kind of cop just shoots some dude setting up a tripod and camera i mean you can't tell the difference between a tripod and camera and a gun who the hell's gonna set up a gun on a tripod in the middle of a parking lot i mean man what is going on with these cops man but it's like not being trained right or something the world has gone mad He goes on to say, I know Jake, I like Jake, I don't want him to lose his job over this, Grim told the paper after the incident. Are you kidding me? You know Jake, and you like Jake, and you don't want him to lose his job over this? He just shot you, dude. He could have killed you. You were trying to take pictures of a storm. (laughs) What is happening? New Carlisle has been described as a small town where everyone knows everyone. A look at the fa- town's Facebook group, the one Grimm had commented on before the shooting corroborates this. Following Grimm's shooting, residents refer to the photographed an officer by name. Many offer their well wishes to Grimm and so- several defended Shaw's actions. How can you defend that guy's actions? I'm sure Shaw didn't shoot Andy on purpose. <laughs> I'm sure that Shaw didn't shoot Andy on purpose. Well, I guess that makes it okay then. (laughs) Andy, we are praying for you right now. Shaw, you are a good person and a good cop. Your job is not easy. You're both in my prayers tonight, writes another. Some locals, however, call for Shaw to face punishment over the shooting. Cops need to wake up, wrote one commenter. I call for Shaw's badge, said another. Hey man, I'm with these guys. Cops need to wake up and I call for Shaw's badge. I'm with these guys. That's absolutely ridiculous. You just shot a man setting up a camera to take some pictures. I mean are you are you freaking kidding me? You do not belong walking around a neighborhood with a gun. <laughs> you, you got you, you send this cat back to the police academy or something. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say about that. Anyways, yeah, I thought I'd share that with you guys, some current events. And the reason I shared it with you guys, because if you're out there doing YouTube videos and you're out filming around the neighborhood, be careful. Because these damn cops, it's like the retarded or something. I don't understand it. And, you know, maybe that wasn't the, the best way to uh, say that, uh, you know. I used to work in MRDD facility. I have nothing but respect for the mentally handicapped. Uh, I didn't mean anything by using that word. I just mean these cops are idiots. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And that almost puts down the mentally handicapped, and that's not, that's not true because I have nothing but respect for the mentally handicapped. Um, but these cops are just absolutely just ridiculous. I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. And not all cops, not all cops. That particular situation was ridiculous. You know, I mean, I have nothing but respect for police. I'm glad we have police. I I, I don't know. I don't want to know what the world looks like without police. Put it that way. But I mean, it would be nice if we didn't have to worry about getting shot when we're trying to set up a tripod and a camera. I mean, it would be nice, especially in this day and age. Cops need to be trained. I mean, come on. Goodness sakes. In this day and age where more and more people are making their money online with video. I mean, are you kidding me? Guys, I want to thank you so much for tuning in to the Easy Money Show tonight. This is brought to you on behalf of the EpicConversions.com and the Epic Conversions Insiders Club, a place where you can get free mentoring, group coaching once a month, weekly actionable content, new product drops every single month. It's going down to in the Insiders Club. Join me. Join me. That's it for the Easy Money Show. I want to thank everybody for stopping in. If you're watching on YouTube, pound that like button for me. That helps me tremendously. I appreciate you all. Thanks for sticking in. It's been a long one, and I'll see you guys in the next one. Peace, everybody.